Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from October 21st, 1997. From the high desert and the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening or good morning as the case may be and welcome to yet another edition, the second since I've returned of Coast to Coast AM live talk radio throughout the nighttime, largest live overnight talk show in America by a country mile. Stretching from the Tahitian and Hawaiian Islands in the west all the way east to the Caribbean, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and more south into South America, north to the bowl, and worldwide on the Internet, this is Coast to Coast AM. Top of the morning, everybody. We are going to have open lines again tonight. Now, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I got a very, very interesting uh, piece of email, and I have booked a guest based on it. And I'll read you part of it now. Art, I'm a ham radio operator, and he gives me his call, and a former submarine communications officer. And I thought you might be interested in hearing some of the rather frightening things that occurred with military radio in the late 1980s. For example, a near-complete failure of the low-frequency radio systems used to communicate with SSBN subs that brought the world to the brink of nuclear war. This event and others were the primary reason why I left the military service as the potential for disaster became very clear to me. Are you aware, Art, there is a second Russian Mir space station in orbit? The station was in orbit as early as 1985. Its whereabouts in space carefully tracked by the U.S. government as it was dedicated to strictly military purposes. I would be willing to speak on your show, provided we could protect my identity. I am still bound by the top-secret SCI crypto clearances that I held while in the military. I will also be happy to establish my bona fide uh, record to your satisfaction to prove that I am not some kind of nut, while not active in the military nor any other government uh, anti-government movement, I can tell you I am highly suspect of many things the government is telling us with regard to communications and space. Please contact me if you're interested. He gives his name. So I did that, and uh, he appears to be everything he says he is. It should be a rather interesting interview. Uh, that is a submarine communications officer tomorrow night. And I'll tell you more about tonight in a moment. Yesterday, I welcomed some radio stations to the network. Well, I only got about halfway through the list. I didn't see the rest of the list. Yesterday, we welcomed uh, KBVI in Boulder, Colorado, WTIC in Hartford, Connecticut, WRKO in Boston, Mass., WPRO in East Providence, Rhode Island, WREL in Lexington, Virginia, WBLJ in Dalton, Georgia, but somehow I forgot to welcome KMAJ in Topeka, Kansas, KTBRFM in Coos Bay, Oregon, KFARAM in Fairbanks, Alaska, now carrying more of the program, KSCO in Santa Cruz, California, KSVP in Artesia, New Mexico, WSGWAM in Saginaw, Michigan, KSMTFM in Breckenridge, Colorado, KRKMFM in Kremling, Colorado, 
and KRKY in Granby, Colorado. So, as you can see, while I was gone, the network was uh, busily acquiring new affiliates, and uh, who knows how many millions of people these stations alone cover. But that's a, a rather impressive uh, gain, I would say, particularly for somebody who was off cruising around in the Mediterranean. Now, I have a complaint that I want to make at the top of the show. We can go to the moon. As we discussed on yesterday's program, we can apparently soon grow headless human bodies in order to harvest organs, clones, as it were, from you that could be grown to um, uh, give you a liver or a heart or lungs. In other words, torsos only, without a head, without a brain. This is amazing science. Even a little scary as far as I'm concerned and perhaps ethically bent. We can do things the mind can barely grasp and we're not prepared to deal with ethically. And we still can't cure the common cold. Now, what is wrong with that picture? <laughs> My answer is plenty. Plenty wrong with that picture. And I, of course, have a cold. So it brought it to mind. I mean, here we do these incredible, astounding things. We can't cure the common cold. Something's wrong with that picture. I was contacted earlier today by Strange Universe. We've got a pretty good uh, relationship, and uh, over the you know some period of time, we have uh, done a lot together. And they solicited my help in something they've got coming up called the Strange or Weird Person Contest. They're trying to find the weirdest person in the world. So it figures they'd come to me, right? And I'm going to be a judge. They want me to be a judge. So they are going to collect information and have a contest to find the weirdest person in the world. And they are going to give, shower upon this person, prizes like bringing them to Los Angeles, that sort of thing, treating them to this and that. You know, it's going to be a big contest. And I thought, who better to find a weird person than me? I've got them stacked up like cordwood out there. Now, I thought tonight I would steal their idea and try to find the weirdest person in the world myself. So I'm going to open a weird person line. If you think you're really, really weird, and I'm, I'm leaving the category very open because <laughs> there's plenty of weird people out there, but if you think you fit into that category and you could be a winner then you're going to want to call my weird person line tonight at area code 7. So I'm going to be a judge, by the way. And I thought this might help me warm up. And you're going to, you know, obviously have to explain to us all how weird you really are and why you would deserve a prize. I'm not giving a prize. 
However, if you're really weird, then you can obviously enter the weird person contest that Strange Universe is about to have. Anyway, I thought it would be fun. Otherwise, in the news, let me see. The IRS is due to be overhauled, they say. They have tried this many times. The president now suddenly supporting it after a lot of Democrats decided they would. Though we shall see. Uh, president Clinton is poised to announce a new plan for the climate, for global warming. And I was watching the coverage of this earlier uh, this night on CNN, and I thought it rather interesting that as they presented both arguments uh, with regard to global warming, is it real, is it just the figment of somebody's political uh, agenda-driven imagination? Uh, which is it? You know, both sides admitted there is a climate change underway. Even those who think that global warming is bunk are now admitting, well, yes, there does seem to be a climate change underway. And I've been saying this, as you well know, for some time. Now, one side, of course, uh, wants to suggest it has nothing to do with global warming, that it's all a bunch of bunk. But they're admitting there is a climate change underway. The other side, of course, knows there's a climate change as well underway, but blames it on greenhouse emissions, uh, you know, cars, uh, the burning of fossil fuels, that kind of thing. But I just found it interesting that both sides now seem to agree a climate change is definitely underway. There is no question about it. None. A big breakthrough, they say, in electric automobiles... Still, though, years away, you know, the one, so, so that you can go out and buy them. And my guess would be the big breakthrough in electric automobiles and the general availability to most of you out there is going to occur after or as we approach the actual a finite uh, limit of oil in the ground, fossil fuels in the ground. In other words, they are going to get an electric car just in the nick of time and not one minute sooner. And I was talking to a good friend of mine up in the Bay Area about this the other day, and we all know that at present rates of usage, which, by the way, are going to actually increase, we only have 40 or 45 years of oil left in the ground, oil that we can pull from the ground and use to drive our cars and engines and lubricate this and that, 40 to 45 years. And he said, you know, a good subject for your show one night, Art, might be to discuss what people think would happen in 40 or 45 years if we do not find a replacement for fossil fuel. And it is a very good question, isn't it? Airplanes would stop flying... Cars would stop driving. Commerce would come to a grinding halt. What do you think would happen to society? We would uh, take a giant step backward. Wouldn't we? Could we? Uh, do you think that uh, there would be wars over the last remaining oil? Because as the reserves dry up, 
even those countries that uh, produce in bulk now are going to use that oil selfishly, domestically. They're not going to sell it. Things are going to get very tight very quickly. And then I saw the business on the electric uh, cars tonight, and I thought, hmm, I bet they come up with those in bulk at reasonable, affordable rates just before we run out of oil. Which begs the question, of course, could they really be doing it right now? And I would almost lay money on the answer that you bet they can. Uh, well, why aren't they? Well, that's not hard to imagine. It's because there's a lot of big money involved in oil. And they're going to they're gonna pull every single dollar out of oil they can until it's just about gone. And then there's going to be a revolutionary announcement. That's what I think. Anyway, I've got something I want to play for you in a moment. I promised I would dub down a couple of audio segments from Egypt, and I have done that. You are about to hear, in a moment, the voice of Zahi Hawass, and you are about to hear the two faces of Zahi Hawass, coming up in a moment. Let me tell you what we're going to do right now, all right? When I was in Egypt, I first met with Dr. Zahi Hawass. Dr. Hawass is the Director of Antiquities at Giza. In other words, he maintains and is in charge of the research, the archaeology that goes on, the digging, such as it is, around the Sphinx, the Great Pyramids, and all of the associated uh, uh, relics and things at Giza, which is an incredible, incredible place. Uh, now, I'm going to let you hear a couple of things. It's really a shame, and I only very occasionally wish I had television, because I have video to go with what you're about to hear. What I did was dub the following down from uh, my uh, video uh, camcorder. Uh, so let me sort of give you an idea of what you're going to hear. Uh, the first is, uh, yesterday, you may recall, I told you, there was a five-ton piece of granite that I saw one man, one man with a sledgehammer break very precisely in half. I mean, it was unbelievable. The guy took a sledgehammer and, t and went to work on a five-ton piece of uh, a granite, pure granite, and split that sucker right in half like he had, you know, like a knife going through butter. It was amazing. Now, I've got the audio from that, and then Zahi comments afterwards. You're going to have to listen, you know, listen very carefully. But uh, here is just a few days ago in Egypt. Here's a man going to work on a five-ton piece of granite. Listen carefully to the following. Oh my gosh. He's pounding away on that uh, granite. 
I didn't think he was going to do it. Is he getting ready to split that? Then you'll hear Zahi Awas. Wow. wow! That's exactly what I want to show to you. Wow! People always say how the Egyptians can cut stones. Yes. That's exactly what they Those are the descendants of the ancient Egyptians. And this is what I tell people. If you want to understand how this pyramid was built, come to me. And I will show you how it's built. This man cut that's five, tons, five tons in a stone in two minutes. <laughs> how they hold it? We have the same method of the ancient Egyptians to move the stones. And it's, it's you know, we, we have many things to do. All right, uh, there was the first segment I wanted to play you. Now, obviously, the video attendant with that audio shows this guy with a sledgehammer splitting precisely down the middle a five-ton piece of granite. One man, five tons, two minutes. It was a mind-blower, and you should see the video. The rock simply parts in the middle... And that's it. was a total mind blower. Now, what I'm going to play for you when we come back uh, from the break is the actual trek that we were making up the uh, the Great Pyramid. And believe me, it's a huffer and a puffer. It's really something trying to get up to the top of the Great Pyramid, up to the King's Chamber. And I was directly behind Zahi Awas. Zahi had no idea my camcorder was running while we were making that trek. So when we come back in a moment, I'm going to play you a little bit of audio from this videotape that will reveal the other side of Zahi Hawass. Coming up next. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from October 21st, 1997. from October 21st, 1997. We're going to try to find the weirdest person in the world tonight. I'm best equipped to do that, obviously. 
You know, I was just talking to my wife before I play this next uh, audio clip. I was just talking to my wife, and I was telling her what I just said about the common cold. And she said, she said something very wise. She said, have you ever considered how profitable the common cold is? She's right. Cough syrup. Uh, every kind of cold remedy you can imagine. Go into the grocery store and look. It takes up nearly an entire aisle. Cold remedies all over the place. Tissue paper. I've already gone through about two boxes of tissue paper with this cold. And by the way, now my wife is catching it as well. Uh, so she's absolutely correct, isn't she? Like the oil in the ground that I think is going to continue to come from the ground until it is no longer profitable to bring it from the ground, and then it'll be time to, you know, do something ecologically more friendly. Uh, the dollar is driving that, and the dollar is driving the common cold. In other words, we probably still have the common cold because it is incredibly profitable. She is exactly right on the money. And now, uh, from Pastor Bradley, Dear Art, have you heard about the big fuss that Janet Reno is stirring up with Microsoft? Oh, yeah, big fine, million bucks a day. She's claiming they're violating anti-monopoly laws, wants them to pay a million dollars a day until they cease. Could it be another ploy to distract us from other investigations? Well, yes, it could. But I, I rather thought the best way for Microsoft to solve their problem would be to simply put a copy of Netscape in each new Windows 95 or 96 or whatever it is they're coming out with next, as well as their own browser, and that would be the end of that. I would think that people at Netscape would be happy about that, and I would think that uh, it would be a good solution. People can use whatever they want. Well, listen, we'll get to this second audio clip in a second. <laughs> Now, what I am going to play for you, you're going to have to listen very carefully because it was a noisy environment. I went up inside the Great Pyramid, the Great Pyramid, going up to the King's Chamber where the sarcophagus is, the one I actually laid down in. That's a whole other story. But on the way up, it's a very long, hot, difficult trek with a lot of people. Uh, Zahi Hawass, the director of... Uh, Antiquities at Giza was directly ahead of me. And I don't think he knew that I had the camcorder running. Now, I was huffing and puffing, and you will hear me very much out of breath, along with everybody else that was making the climb. But Zahi is directly in front of me. And Zahi, when I first met him, of course, was a extremely cordial, extremely seemingly open man, a very even-tempered man, I might add, very even-tempered. You know, when I was in his office, it was all smiles, and he was just a, a glad-handing me and uh, seemed to be a very, very nice man. Uh, but I had the camcorder running as we were making the climb uh, up inside the Great Pyramid to the King's Chamber, and you will hear Zahi, if you listen very carefully, you will hear him saying things to the tourists that were in front of us, um, uh, like, uh, I am the director of antiquities here. I'm the director of this whole place. Move, move. <laughs> so listen very carefully and see if you're able to hear that. 
it, it comes now. This is, again, as we were climbing uh, the Great Pyramid. directly in front of me, and you could hear me huffing and puffing. That was a real, um, a very serious climb. But as Zahi climbed in front of me, he was getting very annoyed, very annoyed with the people uh, in front of him. So I thought I would play that little audio clip. And here is one more. This particular clip, um, uh, again, with everybody huffing and puffing as we were marching all over the place, is right at the side of the Sphinx. At the side of the Sphinx, there is a large hole which has gone down X number of meters uh, that Baval and Hancock, in fact, you will hear Zahi mention Baval and Hancock who think that Zahi is hiding something. And he mentions Baval and Hancock and uh, disclaims, says there's absolutely, absolutely nothing down here. So here's that audio clip. By Monsieur Benes during the restoration of the Sphinx, and I have a slide and a photograph showing people inside the Sphinx. Then, about a few months ago, a year ago, I announced that we're going to open the shaft. Then, Hancock and Buffan just wrote everywhere, don't let him to open because he's going to find something and will hide it. There's nothing there because it has been opened before, it's not intact. And you will not hide it, huh? No. How? How would hide it? <laughs> <laughs> and why would hide it? Uh, they think maybe you'll sneak it out in the middle of the night, but you won't, will you? But why? Give me one reason of why if you discover something here, you'll hide it. If you discover something here, all your gold is in there. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What they say doesn't make any sense. Oh, why do you hide this? Why? It would be something to the whole world. Yes. But there is no reason. Your purpose is here is to expose it to the world. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. What do you think might be down there? In my opinion, Your opinion, the mystery has nothing. But it's better to tell the people that we hope that something can be discovered. Just to give the people hope. Could be true. The people need hope. But in my opinion, for someone who I studied every piece of sand in this area, I know there is nothing in this except archaeology. This is what we do. There is no one single artifact or a piece of sand has been found in the plateau to prove the existence of Atlantis. Nothing. That's true. But of Atlantis. All the discoveries that you will see after, from this moment to the end of your trip, yeah. it's something that we recover every day. Yeah. All right, well, there you were. That was Zahi at the uh, side of the Sphinx, suggesting there had been nothing found, and certainly nothing found to prove the existence of Atlantis, and he made reference to uh, Baval and Hancock. So I've got many, many more like that, uh, but I will not play them for you now. I just wanted to give you uh, a kind of a taste of what the sound was like. 
Um, and, of course, I have a videotape, and I have video to go with all of this, and it makes a lot more sense when you're able to see the video, and this is the one time I wish this was TV and not radio. I've got a lot of very good and interesting video. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello? Hello? Yes, hello. Hello, this is Mike from Houston. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I was just curious about the other night when you had um, the guy on Dreamland about the OBE experience. Oh, yes, uh-huh. Yeah, um, I've had that same feeling, but I've never, where you get the vibrations and you feel like all this energy when you're about to fall asleep. Yes, it is what occurs just prior to an OBE if you let it happen. And I'm afraid to let it happen, just like you said. Well, that makes two of us. Uh, I'm still afraid to, even after his, after his reassurances. Well, I can't reassure you. Because I'm, I'm afraid to do it myself, so I can't help you out. <laughs> all, I, all I can say is, I guess what you would want to do is get his book and see if that convinces you and give it a try. I, my fears range all over the place from, and nobody has ever satisfactorily uh, answered this for me, uh, millions of people around the world die in their sleep. Well, they have not yet come back to tell us uh, what it is they died of, why they died. And I've always wondered, how do we know that a bunch of people out of their body didn't suddenly get disconnected and die? That's kind of what I'm afraid of, too. <laughs> so until I get the answer to that and a couple of other things, I'm not likely to let go. And the other thing that's been happening is a Tav's hum in the ear? Yes. Is that related? No. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, the Tav's hum is a hum that's coming from the earth itself. Uh, it has nothing to do with uh, what you feel prior to an OBE. The, the Tao's home is coming from underground, and I have no idea what it is. Do you? Underground machinery? Uh, perhaps an underground civilization of some kind? Perhaps the government digging holes from one place, uh, tunnels from one place to another? I have no idea. We have uh, something similar to the Taos home in my little valley here. What is it? Pfft, nobody knows. On my weird person line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art. Hi. Hi. Um, you know what is really, really, really weird? I, I beg your pardon? What's really weird? Uh, you, I would imagine. Yeah, well, that's secondhand. Um, is calling this line, and I've been disconnected... So many times for saying that I can't get through. After getting busy signal, busy signal, and then all of a sudden it rings and then you don't answer. That's yeah. weird. No, it isn't. That's normal. It is. That's the way it works for everybody. It does. Yes. Well, I find it. Weird. Well, okay. Well, you're through now. What? You're you're through now. Yeah, I am. Yeah, you're on the air. So. Okay. Oh, I am. Oh, you know what's wrong? With the, the picture, no cure for the common cold? What? Big money. Well, that's what my wife just said. Yeah, she did. She's right. They don't care. They got the big money. They want to, um, want all those cold, um, decongestants and. Oh, look, you go, all right, thank you. You go to the supermarket, I said it a minute ago, and you look up and down the aisle, and it, you, uh, entire aisles are devoted to various things, expectorants to make you um, hack up whatever's down there, 
uh, many, many, many cold cures that promise varying degrees of relief from 4 to 12 hours, which sort of work, but in my opinion, probably drag colds out. Uh, aspirin, every manner of just hundreds and hundreds of product products that uh, serve you when you get a cold. And then, of course, there's the suspicious flu season. Have you ever noticed they know exactly when it's coming on TV? They'll say something like, the flu season is here, and you'll start to see advertisements for things that will relieve symptoms of the flu. And sure enough, what comes along? The flu! And I've had these dark thoughts over the years of, you know, executives, vice presidents, perhaps, of uh, flu company medicine... Uh, uh, flu medicine company, uh, uh, large companies uh, sort of stealing out in the night, no doubt in black suits with little vials that they're dumping in reservoirs. I'm sure that's not really true, but <laughs> I've thought of it. Well, Jack, here's strain A. Here's Here's Asian strain A, Jack, and... It's your job to go put it in the reservoir this year. You're the new guy. And, of course, then they coordinate their ads on TV for the flu medicine, and sure enough, everybody gets the flu. Wild card line, you're on the air. Hi. Hello. I'm calling from Nashville, Tennessee. Well, good. Uh, a comment I would like to make tonight is um, if you look at the UPC barcode of, of anything you buy in the store. Right. Uh, you can see at the beginning there are two skinny lines, and mm. in the middle there are also two skinny lines, mm. and at the end also. And uh, each of those skinny lines represents a number, and the number is six. Six, six. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard that or not. Number of the beast. Yeah, and uh, mm -hmm. I've heard that they have technology that, you know, you can put it in your palm of your hand. and So it, it's stated in the Bible somewhere that, Without the 666, you won't be able to buy or sell. That's what it says, yes. And so I just thought, uh, you've probably heard that already. but I probably have, yes. But there might be a listener out there who hasn't. Well, do you have an implant yet? Oh, no. Are you going to get one? <laughs> no, not, not, not if I can help it. Well, you won't be able to help it. They'll have to they'll, put they'll, you under first. Well, something. they will. Uh, they'll put you under. They'll strap you down. They'll open up your palm. And when you wake up... You'll be chipped. Uh-oh. That's how it's going to work, you know. I hope not. All right, sir. Take care. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, you're welcome. Take care. Uh, oh, yes. Number O the Beast. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Hello. Um, This is Ron calling from Michigan. All right. And I just... Well, number one, I wanted to welcome you back. You're probably tired of hearing that by now. Uh, it's good. No, I'm not. <laughs> I was gone long enough. It's really good to be back. Believe me. Um, I'm pretty much new to your show. Okay. Um, while you were gone, I was uh, pretty much hearing the best of what you put out, and uh, it inspired me to go out and pick up the book. You know, the quickening. Yes, sir. And my first sitting, I, w I went through probably 95 pages. Okay. And I couldn't put it down. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, I've had a lot of success with the book. It is uh, now number four on the New York Times uh, business bestseller list. I'm really very happy. I'll what? tell you a little secret about that book. What's that? 
I wrote uh, a first book, which was called The Art of Talk, and that was about me and about talk radio and blah, 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 uh, with a lot of photographs, and it was basically an autobiography, okay? Mm-hmm. This book, The Quickening, I, it's, it's not one of those things like I decided to just sit down and write it, you know, I'm going to write a book and here's my idea. Mm-hmm. This one just poured out of me. I mean, it just... just well, I keep seeing footnotes everywhere sure. in here, and I'm like, this guy put a lot of work in it. Yeah, see, that's exactly right. And what I did with this book, and here's, here's why I did that. Um, for a couple of years now, two or three years, I've been talking about the quickening. Mm-hmm. And people would come back to me when i talk about it, and they'd say, you're full of it. The only, th- th- there's nothing real to what you're saying. Yes, it feels that way, but, you know, it's just because there's a lot of mass communication today, and we're hearing about these things more and more, and I I would tell people, no, uh, it's absolutely real. And so when I sat down to write the book, I felt an obligation to lay out the proof so it would be absolutely undeniable. That's why you see all those footnotes. Uh, Okay, I I wanted to make one point and pretty much you know, leave the air open for someone else. Go ahead. Um, I read a book by Stephen King when I was a teenager, and it just gave me goosebumps. And, and this was a work of fiction. Which one? The Stand. Oh, The Stand. I love that book. And reading yours in conjunction with, you know, the books I've read, the Bible and all that, it's, it's like, it's not fiction. I know. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Do I know what you're saying? I wrote the book. Yes, I know what you're saying. Of course, it's not fiction. I'm going to be doing my one big book signing for The Quickening. It's going to be this Saturday, 10 o'clock, Saturday morning. I hope I will see you there. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from October 21st, 1997. presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired October 21st, 1997. Well, as I said earlier, on Strange Universe, I got a call, actually, from Strange Universe earlier today, and they're going to have a weird person contest. And so I thought I would get the jump on them and see how I could do in that category, knowing that I have lots of you in that category out there, and I have one contestant on the line right now. And uh, I pre-screened his call a little bit, so I can tell you it's pretty weird. Uh, at any rate, um, here he is. Uh, let's see how weird 
he really is. Hello there. Hi. Would you uh, consider yourself weird? Uh, I don't think of myself as weird on a moment-to-moment uh, -moment basis, but every so often, if I'm able to step back far enough from the forest to see the trees, uh, I would have to be considered weird, yes. Well, even though you might not consider yourself weird, is it reasonable that other people would consider you weird? Uh, completely and totally reasonable. Uh -huh. All right. What is it you do? This is not what's my line, but I mean... What on do you... a day-to-day -day basis, uh, to put it at its weirdest, uh, I take... Call us toll-free at 1-800-618-8255. Do that is because... Uh, oh, but now, wait a minute. We're going to have to be a little bit careful here. Uh, uh, I'll be... I'll, I'll crank it... Uh, yeah, we're going to have to be a little careful. I mean, I'm not Howard Stern. I understand. I'm, you know, I'm open-minded, but I'm not Howard. So we're, Art, we're professionals. Uh, we are, and so we're going to have to do this tastefully, if possible. Uh, all right. I, I handle the, the constant barrage of questions related to a device called the uh, Venus 2 Personal Comfort System for Men and also another device called Sibian. The v Wait, let's get these straight. The Venus 2, is that correct? That's correct, the for Venus 2 Personal Comfort System. Personal comfort system for men, and and the Sibian, which is a uh, a comparable device made for ladies. Which and these devices. Both of these devices are engineered from the ground up to uh, produce orgasms uh, for for the Venus for for males, the Sibian for females. These are orgasmic machines. And they are not toys. These are these are devices that are made to the standards of quality, durability, and safety that are much more uh, closely related to medical or therapeutic or clinical devices. They sell, uh, the, the Sibian is $1,400. $1,400? Well, it can be had for around 1250 but I'm just... Uh, Dis you discount occasionally? Uh, if we, we do offer discount offers, and the Venus 2 sells for 1095 but it can be had for uh, around 950 and I'm not trying to hawk them, but it is a very peculiar... When you say 1095 you mean $1,095? Yes. Uh-huh. And they're made to last the lifetime of the owners. And uh, all day long, I take questions from individuals who, for, through one means or another, have heard about the devices, and they're calling to, to uh, either to buy or to ask questions. Okay, and, so you manufacture you manufacture machines that produce orgasms, machines. Yes. Now, as a matter of absolute curiosity. What got you started in this? In, in, in this working for line of particular? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I, I was uh, managing a nightclub in Chicago, uh -huh. and uh, Chicago has uh, some very unusual standards about uh, about gentlemen's clubs, and then the club was closed due to due to a parking. We had insufficient uh, spaces for for cars, if you can believe that that was the real reason. Uh -huh. And uh, simultaneous with that, a local newspaper, uh, Chicago Reader, published an article about a fellow who, had, who had, was the original engineer inventing the Venus II. Uh, and I called to congratulate him because uh, the, that particular issue had uh, been picked up from the distribution points faster than any other issue in the 20-year history of that newspaper. And uh, I had... I had put in about 10 years in medical marketing, once for plastic surgeons, another time for a renowned eye doctor. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, what I do is not, is not 
too dissimilar from medical marketing because as as you stated we have to be professional I, I mean I can certainly understand that for example there would be a definite use for that machine in say a sperm bank I'm sorry uh, there would be a definite use for that machine in say a sperm bank right that makes sense I mean, we, where you certainly we've sold a few but because of because of the the, the age that we live in there's a, there's a lot of people who either let's say in the case of men who do not have access to ladies or 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 who think that they don't which amounts to the same thing and and who are afraid to take care of those matters the way people did 50 years ago or maybe even 15 or 20 years ago or 10 years ago and then of course there's uh safe sex and aids and all the rest of that too yes and I, and some people feel that uh, as as men age and and they are, they are, it is inevitable that they're going to be confronted with prostate problems. Oh yes. And many many uh, doctors feel that uh, if uh, if those matters aren't taken care of, that can that can accelerate uh, the uh, the point in time when someone is confronted with that difficulty. Hmm. So so and also and this is I think uh, uh, it qualifies both as weird and also uh, as beneficial. But the Venus too can can uh, produce and deliver orgasms even for men who are impotent. Wow. In other words, it functions. It doesn't have to be operating on something that's rigid. What made you decide to call it the Venus 2? Now, Venus was associated with love, I suppose. It was already called the Venus 2 when I came uh. on board. I didn't invent this, but I did add the personal comfort system for men because I, uh, it has to be a way of describing it. Uh, how about, I, I thought of, uh, while I was just sitting here thinking during the news, I thought of the org Orgasmatic. Well, Orgasmatron is one of the names that Orgasmatron? we have uh, copyrighted. Oh, copyrighted yet, huh? Oh, sure. Um, are these large machines physically? Venus 2 uh, comes in its own carrying case that's about the size of a large briefcase. Well, not However, that big, then. we're coming out with a next generation unit in the spring, and it, is, it would fit in a shoebox. A shoebox? Wow. Now, how are these items marketed? I mean, you don't go door to door and, you know, like the vacuum cleaner salesman, you know. Yes, hi, ma'am. I want to show you our... We put reasonably discreet ads in, in uh, some of the better adult magazines, and also occasionally I'll do a press release, and, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we, we uh, generate uh, interviews. How's the market? I mean, are sales brisk? They're very consistent. I would say that... Each week we sell between 15 and 25 units, and wow. and and we we're so confident about the quality of the product yes. and the effectiveness of the product that yes. that they're they're sold on the basis of a 45-day trial period. So if someone really? if if for any reason someone buys one of these and they decide this isn't worth it or this isn't what I had in mind or it's not for me, then they you give the money back. We do. You do. Um, we don't take. We do not take any part of the unit back that comes into physical contact. Well, see, I was about to ask for that. It's like no, we take back the power and control unit, and uh, we we refund more, more... all of their money except for one hundred and twenty-five dollars. So, if oh. I can do that mathematically, a person could buy one of these units, and if they returned it, basically they spent one hundred and twenty-five dollars to keep it for a month and a half. Their store. There's a store in California that rents them. For one hundred and fifty dollars a week, rents them. Yes. Uh huh. Um, but you buy your own attachment. I, I think connected I connected to it by I, by a pneumatic. I hose. think I think I understand. Um, 
How do your friends and family react when you explain the kind of business you're in? <laughs> my family is mortified. They're mortified. Yes, my friends. My friends know me, and it's not a. It's not a problem of any kind. But my family was a little mortified. Well, pretty much so. Well, but that's that's you know everybody has their own family. Yeah, you're definitely in a unique business. Uh, no question about it. Uh, do you see a big future for your product? Absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the first press releases I did, uh, we got uh, somehow the Bloomberg Financial Wire picked it up, and uh, I would say we got at least 400 calls from stockbrokers, commodity brokers, bankers, insurance men, and I predict that we will take the company public on the internet. Wow. And I think it'll cook. I know that's worked for uh, for microbreweries, for example, and also the the next generation Venus Two. Um, will be more powerful. The maximum speed will be higher. The minimum speed will be lower. It's so quiet that we have to put an on-off switch, I mean an on-off light on it so that it's not accidentally left on all night. <laughs> and uh, the new price will be in the $500 range. And I think that... It's probably a lot quieter than its, uh, its, uh, its user. Yes. Well, we haven't solved that problem yet. And there's <laughs> another problem... I am here to tell you about the Reach Out Wireless Link-Up and Lifeline yeah, program. Yeah, there's that. And Under uh, Congressional mandate, the Federal Universal uh, Service Fund supports the Lifeline and Link-Up program. Uh, intended, uh, These function. programs provide... Does it offer its user a cigarette? <laughs> no, but that would be a very good accessory. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, on a scale of 10, I think you qualify as roughly an 8. Thank you, I appreciate that. And may I just say, so that you're not inundated... And I'm not asking to give a phone number, but can I say what city we're in? So if people want to call information, they could. Uh, yeah, sure. I've got to give you that. Sure. What city are you in? The name of the company is Abco Research. Abco. ABCO, yeah. And we're in Monticello, Illinois. All right. I appreciate your call, and you definitely qualify as an eight out of ten on the scale of weirdness. Now, what I am doing this night, because I got a call earlier from Strange Universe today, and I can already see I'm on the right track here. And they're going to have a weird contest, a weird person contest. And that man definitely qualifies as an entrant. As a matter of fact, uh, he really should enter the Strange Universe contest. But I thought, who better qualified to go out and find strange and weird people than me? And I, I, I can assure you, before the night is over, you will definitely agree with me. I do like the Orgasmatron as a name. Whew. The world is changing before our very eyes. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, hi, Art. This is Ken in Las Vegas. Hi, Ken. Uh, welcome back. Thank you. You know, uh, one of my favorite guests that you have on your show is David John Oates. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, m most of the time he's uh, been really good, uh, been very accurate and uh, doing the reversals, but however, my friends and I, who are very serious reverse speech uh, people, yes, uh, have quite, have to take issue with uh, his findings regarding that Area 51 caller who allegedly knocked you off the air. Yes, I want to tell you that um, from my reversals, and I got the tape, and I'm willing to uh, sit down with you and also uh, take on Mr. Oates to challenge Mr. Oates. I can tell you that from the reversals, that call was staged. That call was staged. 
and um, Mr. Oates, when he said... Uh, well, what reversal do you have that would prove that? Well, he says, uh, well, when he says what we're talking about is aliens, Arthur, he said, in reverse, he says, there are no aliens. I want to get through. He said things like, instead of, instead of feel the heat, he said, heal the feet. He said stuff, they're all heal, lies. Heal the feet. He said, I'm serving it on a ham hock. That's me bull blanking it. Uh, and uh, I caught some reversals on you. It was, and this a lot of people out there, a lot of serious minded people, world class uh, people could confirm it. Uh, oh, well, uh, I, listen, I'm open. Here's what you ought to do send me, uh, if you're unable to play them, you know, in quality as uh, David can on the phone, then send me a tape of the reversals and I'll play them on the air. All right. Well, I already put it on a bulletin board, so on the, on the Fido, the RineNet, and and uh, absolutely temporary. And I put all the the uh, I put my findings on the bulletin board. Well, better yet, though, not because not you know only a very small percentage of people can get up there. Uh, if you really want it heard, send it to me, and I'll play it on the air. Um. Okay, if you uh, if you want, but uh, but well, you you got the tape yourself. I mean, I could uh, I could. I mean, you've got the tape. I could, I could uh, tell you what I heard from from it. Well, no, I want to hear the reversals. Okay. I'll. Uh, so, what do you want me to do? Send the reversals to me, on tape. Uh, it's not such a good idea grabbing them off real audio because of the quality, you know. So, to broadcast it, send it to me on a tape, and I'll broadcast it. Okay. I want to know what uh, Mr. Oates's uh, response is going to be. How about if if I and Mr. Oates together we we. Uh, I'll well, uh, look, again, send me okay. the reversals. If they're clear, then, and you really want to get David on and challenge him, uh, we can even do that, but I've got to hear them first. Okay. All right? Will do. All right, I'll look for them, uh, and uh, you know me, I'm willing to do just about anything. <laughs> All right, uh, back we are now. I am taking calls from people who are weird. Now, you have to really qualify as weird, much like that last guy did. Can you imagine that as a living, building machines that produce orgasms? Machines? Ah, welcome to the brave new world. On my international line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Bell, and welcome back. Well, thank you. Um, hold on, hold on a minute. Hold on just a sec. Let me try and get rid of this echo. Uh, we've got some echo on there. Let's see if that gets rid of it. Okay, I think that's a little bit better. Uh, where are you located? I'm calling from Quebec City, Canada. Ah, Quebec, Canada. All right. Yeah, capital of separatism, like you said once. <laughs> yes. Well, I always like to speak about time travel because it really interests me a lot, okay? Me too. Okay, you had a caller on once you open the open the... Uh, the time, uh, the timeline. Yes. I was wondering. Uh, he had one. He said he was watching uh, the inventor of the uh, time machine. You remember that one? I do. Yes, I do. Okay, that one sounded pretty credible to me. The other one who sounded pretty credible is that pilot who claims that he went back in 1932 to Operation uh, Southern Cross. Yes. I don't even know if that operation actually exists. No, I don't either. Okay. But he did uh, sound good. I agree. Okay, and uh, maybe another timeline some night before Christmas? Oh, sure. Okay, and one last thing. What is the alternate states of America? I wondered, uh, it, it sounds to me like another dimension or another timeline. What do you think? 
the alternate states of Have America. You ever heard that? Yeah. Um, no, but if there is another timeline and uh, you know a parallel uh, dimensional universe, then it's entirely possible. But I doubt they would call themselves the alt, uh, alternate states of America. They would call themselves the United States of America, but it might be a very different U.S. Okay, talk to you later. Thank you very much. All right, take care. In other words, uh, the um, the name alternate states of America would clearly imply they understood they were an alternate to something else, to us. And since they wouldn't have that knowledge, they wouldn't be the alternate states. They would just be the U.S., like we are here. But the structure might be entirely different. For example, their Alan Greenspan might like the market going up and up and up. <laughs> on my weird person line, you're on the air. Hello. How are you doing, Art? I'm doing fine. Uh, I've been classified as being a, a weird guy. Um, I'll go by the name Gazuki. Gazuki? Gazuki. Gazuki. <clears throat> why, why and in what way are you weird? Well, I come up with all kinds of strange ideas. One of them is a parasail city supported by several mile wide, a few miles uh, long parasails that would support an ultralight city. An ultralight city? I just got done doing 400 upside down uh, push-ups, so I'm rather tired. You can hear my breath. 400? Uh, yeah, well, I spread them out through the day, but yeah. Now, I, I, I know what an ultralight is, but how would you have an ultralight city? Uh, you'd simply uh, strap uh, you know, a sail together until you had... A very, 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 very big uh, parasail in the middle. Yeah. You'd put the um, main weight, which would be the city. And then uh, to go on from that, and also you could position these uh, ultralight cities to get rid of pollution uh, because they would create their own pressure zones, and in stagnant pollution-ridden cities, they would kind of, you know, bring a little wind to the city. Well, they would require, well, I guess I guess they would, wouldn't they? They'd yep. be un In other words, they'd be under power. Exactly. And also, I, I so uh, you could, for example, fly them over Los Angeles on a smoggy day, exactly, and blow the smog away. That's right. That's exactly right. I've also seen nine UFOs, four of which, uh, in my opinion, uh, were driven by something other than human. I've invented things like the spider leg uh, vehicle, arms and legs fit into independent suspension slash suit. In other words, you put your uh, uh, you put the vehicle on like a spacesuit. Mm -hmm. And uh, all your arms and your legs, they fit into the independent axles, which have tires on each end. All right, well, I, I think I've got the picture, and I'm giving you a 5 out of 10 on the weird scale. Keep at it, sir. This is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from October 21st, 1997.
Art Bell, Summer in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from October 21st, 1997. Now, I'm holding open one line for weird people, and I really mean weird, not just a little weird. You've got to be very weird. Anyway, uh, that line is normally my first-time caller line. facts here. Art, will you allow uh, Hancock and Baval to reply to Hawass's statements? I'm sure you agree. That would only be fair. Welcome home. Get well. Thank you. Uh, yes, of course I would allow uh, Hancock and Baval on to uh, uh, counter the statements made by Zahi Hawass. Of course I would. So if anybody out there wants to contact them and let them know then I have issued an invitation for them to respond. They're more than welcome to uh, to come on the air. On my weird person line, you are on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art Bell. As you know, I've pre- well, pre-talked to you. I have an extremely rare RH factor, which is RH equal, and I have documents to prove this. I've never heard of it. RH, I know about RH positive, I guess it is. And RH negative. Negative. Well, I'm holding in my hand a document done by the U.S. military yeah. that states RH equal, what RH it, factor equal. What does that mean? I mean, does that mean that uh, you would be compatible with both blood types or, or you would be not compatible with uh, either one? Well, being RH equal, you know, a positive and a positive equals equal, right? I mean, uh, equals uh, positive. A negative and a positive equals a negative. So, you know, by the laws of physics and in, in nature, RH equal, uh, I guess, you know, a negative and a negative would equal a negative. Yeah. And a positive and a positive would equal positive. Yeah. So actually, actually, my blood type, I could actually donate my blood type to either a negative or a positive. Have they tried it? That I don't know, but I do know that the human genome has been completely mapped uh, back in the 1950s, and I have the name of a doctor and some phone numbers that actually cloned a human in the early 1970s. Well, you know what? I don't doubt that. We were talking about that yesterday extensively, and but I've never heard of an RH equal person. Now, is there, I never is, have either. Is I there anything across anybody else that has? Yeah. Either. Is there anything otherwise different about you? Do you have any strange powers? Can you see through walls? Well, I have been known on occasion to walk, be passing, you know, people on the sidewalk, and they would look toward me, and I would answer their question, and they'd kind of look at me, kind of dumbfounded. You're telling me you can read minds? Well, not particularly read minds. I can actually, you know. I have a sense of what someone is about to ask, and I would answer the question Ooh. on occasion. It doesn't happen Ooh. on a regular basis. It just occurs occasionally. I just read a book that I've recommended to my listeners, and I recommend to you called The Miracle Strain. Boy, was that a good book. Mm-hmm. And you sort of fit into perhaps a category that was almost described in that book. I don't want to give anything away. but Well, I do recall way back, you know, in the late 50s, early 60s of being tested genetically, you know, at some, at some point when I was extremely young. And the genetic testing that they did, of uh, some sort, they injected something into my right hip. And, oh, you know, really? it came back as an extremely strong 
whatever it was. Now, do you do you do you? Here I am suffering from a cold right now. Do you get colds? Uh, no. You don't get colds. No. Ooh. I don't even get the flu. You you don't ever get the flu either. Well, I get you know I get the you know the garden twelve hour variety, but I don't get the flu or the cold. No. We need your blood. We need your blood. Well, the plasma, actually. It may be there's something in your blood that could aid all of humanity. Well, that's possible, but, you know, the thing of it is... We need to get you on a table and slice and dice a bit. Do you remember a movie, I mean, a television series back in the, say, early 70s, late 60s, maybe even uh, mid-70s, regarding a person that had an extremely rare blood type that uh, government agents were chasing this person all over the place, and he would, and he would donate blood. You know, to, I vaguely do recall that, yes. And he, would do, and he would donate blood to cure people and stuff like that. Yes. That, uh, that is basically the scenario uh, behind the mapping of the Human Genome Project. And the human genome has been completely mapped, in the, as you know, like I say, in the 50s. And there, uh, the story behind the human clone that was actually cloned and successfully in 1975, uh, the doctor that cloned this individual that was naturally sponsored by the military mm. for military purposes, mm. and the military gave orders to this doctor to uh, do away with his clone because the clone refused to kill a dog, you know, actually physically kill a dog. It wouldn't kill on command. Well, so that wouldn't be any good for the military. No, it wouldn't, no. But, you know, if you would, would like, the clone if even, you would, would the clone even kick a dog? No, it wouldn't, even, it wouldn't harm the dog in any way. Well, then that's obviously no good for the military at all. No, but I can give you the doctor's name and phone numbers. Well, I, I don't want it now. Not here on the air. Let's do it off the air. Okay. Get me by email or snail mail or however you can get it to me, privately the number, and I will investigate this. Yeah, well, I, I will get, you know, I, like I say, it's going to be a couple of weeks before I get connected back up to the Internet. But when I get connected back up to the Internet, I will send you an email uh, with the doctor's name and uh, two phone numbers. All right. Wonderful. I'll look forward to it. Thank you very much. I give that man a seven, uh, you know, lacking documentation, of course, at this point. I give him a seven on a scale of weirdness. Pretty cool. RH equal blood. Blood that prevents colds or even a serious flu. Hmm, we need that man's blood, don't we? West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. No, wait a minute. Push the button. There we go. West of the Rockies, now you're on the air. Hello. Uh, Mr. Bell. Yes. Hey, I'm on. That's great. Hey, welcome back. Thank you. Um, well, I've got a, a weird theory for you. Okay. Um, you remember the, uh, I'm sure you do, the, the guy that freaked out and your satellite went dead? Of course. Okay. Uh, you remember what he said right before things went haywire? He said that, that the aliens were interdimensional creatures, I believe. That's that, correct. Yeah, that they weren't what we thought they were. That's right. Okay, well, an interdimensional creature would be able to, uh, just like we could look down on fish in a pond, I think one of your recent guests uh, mentioned. Yes. They should be able to... Uh... Uh, actually, that was, again, Professor Kaku who said yeah. that. Right, right. And uh, he said, what would a fish think if you plucked that fish out of the water and 
he looked right. around at the world above the water, which he had never seen before, and you threw him back in, and he was talking to his friends down there, trying to tell them what had happened. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. So, so these creatures then could uh, could do the equivalent to us. Uh, they could possibly read our thoughts, uh, get inside us, maybe in ways that we can't even imagine. Um, now, if you link that idea together with something else that I remember Whitley Strieber mentioning in, in his book, Communion, that uh, the aliens seem to, I believe he said this, or it was someone along the same lines, that they, uh, they collect souls. They have a fascination with souls. Yes. Okay, well, if you, if you take those two things together, um, then the aliens could be uh, interdimensional creatures, which is what the first, uh, the... Uh, the, the very unusual call you got, uh, they could be demons. I mean, that could be another way of describing what religion has put a label on that people uh, seem to object to because of all the dogma and... and uh, Worse yet, sir? Yeah. We could just be soul food for them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But it puts, it puts the idea of demons and even Christianity, uh, angels, good, good uh, aliens versus bad aliens... You know, we, we, uh, if we, if we think of them in terms of angels, it seems actually, I mean, I hate to say it, but it seems to be a lot more acceptable and palatable than calling them demons or angels because, uh, after all, we think of a demon as being a, you know, a, a Satan creature with a, with red skin and a, a tail. Don't forget the horns. Right. <laughs> you know, we have a cartoon, uh, concept that we put onto something, but if we put it in the context of these could be, interdimensional creatures uh, that may have an agenda and if they they have some type of fascination or lust for human souls then it could put you know the whole thing the whole Christianity uh, idea in a different perspective it could all right well I, I appreciate your theory it's definitely weird definitely weird what do you think the devil really looks like not the traditional horns and tail and all the rest of it I wonder what the devil really looks like. Have any of you actually ever seen the devil? Now, the best person that I have ever seen to play the devil, or one of his disciples, is beyond any question Christopher Walken. I mean, that guy is weird. Christopher Walken, I, as a matter of fact, I would like to interview Christopher Walken. He just has a natural sort of wonderfully evil presence about him. I, I, you know, he's done those sorts of movies, and he's almost being typecast now, but he is absolutely perfect for the part. Perfect. On my international line, you're on the air. Good morning. Oh, Hi there. Hello? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? I hear you. Where are you? I'm calling from uh, Saskatchewan, Canada. Saskatchewan. Good. Welcome to the program. Yeah, and uh, you were talking about... Uh, First thing you're talking about, sunlight savings time, Saskatchewan doesn't go on it either. Really? Yeah. So we're we're on we're in the same time as you are right now. However, when we change time here, what is it? About another week, we'll change times. Uh, no, we'll be... leave you guys behind, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hmm. uh, uh, um, have you seen the October issue of Discover? Cover magazine? Uh, no, I don't think I have, no. I just got back to the country, so I haven't okay, seen it. There is an interesting article in there, 
scientists were doing tests on rats, and they found that the they had found they found out that nit- nitrates and nitrite compounds in in both in rats and humans yes. are first line of defense against bacteria like E. coli, bacteria, and Salmonella. <laughs> so that may explain why a lot of people are getting sick. We're cutting down a lot of people are not have enough nitrates in their bodies. Well, that's a possibility. Thank you. I, I you know, I'm, I am very distrustful of uh, studies done on rats that are then uh, immediately converted to have human, um, to be relative to uh, human beings. Because so many times in the past we have either taken things off the market or allowed them to go on the market based on, based on tests on rats. And I think that is insufficient. I want to see human trials before I'm a believer. Anyway, um, let us continue and go here to my weird person line. You're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art Bell. Yes. Oh, I just got through. That's great. Okay, just listen to the show. Okay, you're going to have to speak up good and loud. I can barely hear you. Okay, is that better? That's better. Okay. Well, I just want to say in uh, 1980, I took a trip to Wyoming to specifically go aboard a UFO on Pat McGuire's farm. Well, now, wait a minute. Why would you think there would be a UFO landing in Wyoming or anywhere else? Well, Mr. McGuire was on television saying that there was on, uh, I think, the old show, That's Incredible. Uh Uh-huh. And so myself and a couple of friends went out there and um, Hmm. saw what we saw. It's all documented through Dr. Sprinkle at the university. So what did you see? Oh, I don't really want to say, but I, I saw... Oh, come on now. I saw the equivalent of uh, some bright lights. I'll leave it at that. And they were flying in a pattern that was not fixed-wing or rotary-wing type aircraft. No. You saw a UFO? Uh, no doubt, but I don't want to say that because I, I have no way to prove it other than my own word. Look, a UFO is just an unidentified flying object. Well, and you, you definitely saw one of those, right? By definition, I did. But you didn't get picked up. You didn't get abducted. You didn't get to ride in one. I'm not sure. Oh? Um, I don't think I did, no. But some strange things did happen. Like what? I don't want to go into detail. Uh, there's too many people listening. Well, but you knew that when you called me. Well, it's just something weird to uh, talk about that I did. Well, that's why I have the weird line open. Right, right. That's so you can't you can't tell me. I could tell you I could tell you maybe, you know, person to person conversation, but not on the air. All right. Well, then I'm going to leave it at that. Then uh, you've got to be able to tell everybody, not just me. Got to be able to tell everybody. This is an open radio program. So when you get ready to you know make it all public, when you're going to let it all out, well, call me back. On my weird person line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello, Art. Hello. My name is Teddy. Okay. My friends call me Terrible Teddy. They, they think I'm kind of weird, and why, I think I'm very normal. Well, why do they think you're weird? Well, I, I, I do have a fascination with death. Do um, you remember the videos, Faces of Death? Oh, yes. I've rented it 27 times. Really? I, I find it mildly erotic. 
And I, I don't know. I think that's normal, but I, I just think death... You think, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You think death and faces of death was a videotape, for those who don't know, that depicted uh, people dying in truly horrible, awful ways. Oh, I loved it. Really? Yeah, that, and, and, and they think, for some reason, they say, I have a coffee can full of old toenails ranging from celebrities... Wait, down wait, to wait, wait, wait. You collect toenails? I have a toenail collection, that's right. Uh, it ranges from celebrities down to my neighbor, and uh, I am quite proud of it, actually. How... Uh, <laughs> as a matter of interest, how do you... How do you get these toenails? I mean, it's not something you can ask people for. Well, in fact, I do ask for them, and, and, and on occasion, I, 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 if I notice someone is, is clipping their toenails, I'll wait politely till they're finished and then collect them when they leave. Do you sometimes have to do so covertly? In other words... Well, I'm, I, as I say, I'm kind of proud of the toenail collection, and so I, I don't mind if someone sees me, and I'm, I'm not afraid to talk to them about it. How many, uh, you say you've got, how, how, well, give me an estimate. How many toenails do you suppose you have totally? Well, to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure of the number, but a coffee can full is a good size and a large amount. That's I, a I, lot I, of toenails. How, how long have you been collecting them? Um, for about five years, actually. I'm about ready to fill the can and, and start a new one, so it's, it's exciting for me. Uh, another day, I chose. Uh, I found a very large ant in my backyard, mm. and I wonder what these ants do during the day. Yeah. So I followed them. I followed them for about five hours. You spent five hours following an ant through my backyard, my neighbor's yard, into the street and across the street. And I'll tell you, he went down the sewer, and I, and I I lost him. It took a while to get the lid off, but uh, to be honest, with you, I think he ditched me. So in other words, by the time you were able to lift the lid, he was gone. He was gone. Yeah, but, but you spent that, five hours following an ant. I thought it was very stimulating. I, I felt it was something to. They were going somewhere. They're very busy. I just wanted to know where. But he he did get away from me. And apparently it's a it's a long trip just across the yard. So like maybe they don't get too much accomplished. But they are very busy. Well, how are you able to devote so much time to? The faces of death 27 times, collecting toenails, following ants. I mean, these are time-consuming things. Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, I, I do sacrifice a lot of sleep. Of course, I do listen to your show often, and so that takes a lot of my time and it gives me a chance also to, to engage in these, these activities because I have a portable radio and, and headphones and such. So you do kind of ride it right along with me. Now, that I think is weird. but As a matter of curiosity, uh, you've got this coffee can full of toenails. How do you know which ones came from a celebrity? Oh, I just said I tagged them, of course. You you tagged them. A little piece of masking tape to identify them once. Some of them are just kind of run of the mill, and so I don't bother with that. But the very famous ones are, are people who I consider to be famous. Give, give me a name or two famous toenails that you have. Well, I've got um, I've got uh, the the um. Yeah. Hold on a second. Let me see. I've got a list here. Someone I did buy a set that someone told me came from Madonna's though. Now, from from who? From, did Madonna. you say Madonna? That's right. Uh, I was in Los Angeles visiting at a time and at a beach, and someone uh, offered them to me. And uh, I'm not sure if this was someone who, who you consider a toenail dealer, or he just was maybe playing a joke. But I, were I, these given to you freely, or did you have to pay pay, money for those? You paid for them. $165. Oh my God! And of course, I value those greatly. Um. All right. Well, contact me privately because I've got some very famous nails for you. We've got a break here at the top of the hour. Nine on a scale of ten. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from October 21st, 1997. 
somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from October 21st, 1997. Good morning, everybody. We are doing many things this morning. Uh, nothing tremendously important, but a lot of fun. I've got a special weird person line open. Now, why would I open a, a line for weird people? Well, because earlier in the day, I got a call from Strange Universe, you know, the TV show. And they wanted me to be a judge. They're going to have a weird person contest, and I've been invited to be one of five judges. And I thought, well, I have a program. I have weird people, maybe even more than the average. And so I thought I would open a line for weird people, and I am so far not disappointed. Now, the caller just before the top of this last hour uh, definitely was a nine on a scale of ten. I mean, we're talking about a man who watched Faces of Death 27 times and finds it erotic. We're talking about a man who collects toenails. Uh, he had an entire coffee can full of toenails, some of them from famous people. In fact, uh, some of them even labeled as Madonna's toenails. And here, too, is a man who followed an ant on his hands and knees for five hours until it fooled him by going down a storm drain. I'm giving him a good nine out of ten. Then there was an earlier fellow who um, has invented and possibly patented, I forgot to ask about that, orgasm machines, uh, one for men, one for women. Here's somebody faxing, Art, tell your caller, I will sell my toenails for 20 cents each. I'm broke. Signed, Tom. And this... I guess, in a, on a more serious note, Dale from Atlanta, Georgia. Art just heard on ABC News, thousands of seabirds found dead in Alaska due to starvation. El Nino is what's being blamed. The quickening, oh, and that reminds me, he says, the quickening continues. It's from Dale. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Mr. Bell. Yes. Yes. Uh, about your trip to Egypt? Yes. It must have been beautiful. It was. I wanted to ask you, uh, the Egyptian calendar, isn't that supposed to be one of the oldest calendar in the world? Well, I'm sure it's old. I mean, the Egyptian uh, civilization is certainly very old. Well, I, I heard it goes back like to 7,000 years, but it's uh, consecutive years. I mean, it's nothing like time wasted or anything like that. Hmm. I heard a lot about the Egyptian calendar. Now, the Sphinx and the pyramids that you saw... That was built 5,000 years ago? Well, probably a lot of people estimate four or 5,000 years. There are others who think the Sphinx is as old as 12,000 years. Ooh. It's very unclear. Uh, very unclear. Okay, now, that was built by the Egyptian slaves? I think those are the indications. But mm -hmm. nobody can still show how it was done. Mm-hmm. But I saw the, uh, the tombs of the workers that built the pyramid. So there is no question that human beings were involved. But how they moved the blocks remains as much of a mystery as ever. Okay. Now, that's the, the pharaohs are buried there. That's the kings of Egypt. Yeah, the pharaohs. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, that's in the Bible, too. Now, uh, uh, there's Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, yeah, I was there. Okay, uh, that was named uh, uh, by Alexander the Great. That was built by Alexander the Great during the Greek Empire. That's correct, right? I think that's correct. And that's 300 years B.C. That was built by. But it's, it's wonderful. See how European history, in a way, and uh, uh, Eastern, uh, Southern European history and the Middle East history. Yeah, I'll tell you. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you some about that. Uh, where are you calling from? Uh, Minneapolis. 
Minneapolis. All right, well, you listen to what I have to say. Whether you're talking about Paris, as a matter of fact, I think CNN did something on this recently. Uh, Paris, London, uh, any other major European capital that you could name, save perhaps the former Eastern Bloc countries, their society is very, their civilization, much, much, much older than us or any of our cities. And yet their cities are kept well. Their infrastructure is clean and efficient and uh, safe. When you walk around their streets, uh, you are generally safe. Now, I would not necessarily say that about Cairo. I'm talking more about the northerly uh, European cities. Very old, very safe, very clean, and here we are, very new, and our infrastructure is falling apart. Our bridges are a mess. Many of our inner cities are total disasters. Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, certainly is one of those. You look at the monuments that are maintained, and they're very pretty, but outside of that, Washington, D.C. is basically surrounded by basically a, a ghetto. There are certainly nice areas of Washington, but there are a lot of not-so-nice areas. And you've just got to wonder why that is. And it's not confined to Washington, D.C. That was the example, I think, that uh, a CNN or TBS used. I forget which it was. TBS, maybe. But any inner major U.S. inner city has a lot of areas that, frankly, a lot of Americans would be ashamed of when they go and look at uh, the, the European capitals that are, that are much older. And I wonder why that is. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Good morning, Art. Good morning to you. Hey, um, I, I consider myself weird, but yes, true. Uh, my fifth birthday, when I was younger, um, it was a big disappointment to me, and I can still remember it. But what I remember was um, a lady visiting me. Um, it was more of a, a spiritual lady that I met when I was about five. And she's always uh, contacted me. Um, when I'm alone or when I'm meditating, uh, I've always called her like a mother, like a second mother to me. And what she's taught me, I mean, I know this for true, what she's taught me is how to control the wind. The wind? Yes, indeed. Now, let me get this straight. This is a woman who comes to you psychically. In fact, right. when, I was, when I was little, you know, when I was little, I a better imagination or I was in touch better and I'd actually see her uh, but as I've grown up I, I can hear her and it's not that I'm trying to contact her it's just instantly she's there at the least moment I'll expect it okay how do you control the wind well the way I figure it, it's more I get myself into a well, like a meditation state right um, where I just concentrate on what I'm doing or or either that or my feelings are enraged and uh it just kind of flows through me. In fact, I remember my uh, it was my 21st birthday. I was living out in Nebraska. Right. And I was really, really upset for you know, I don't remember why, but I was really upset over it. And um, I created a twister probably about five miles oh, south of me. God, you mean an, a tornado? A tornado, indeed. And well, I don't you must have, have been really ticked off. Uh, yeah, I was. I was really ticked off, in fact. Well, can it go the other way? In other words, if it's blowing hard outside... Uh -huh. And let's say it's annoying you, and you want it to stop. Mm, no, not really. No, no, I, I can't do that. But when it's really still, 
or when it's a clear day out. Yeah. Um, I'm not talking I can control the wind all over the world. It's like, it seems to me like in a 15, 20 mile radius of me. A localized thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I just, uh, it just, it's just a feeling that just comes through my hands and my head and just blows through me. And, uh, it's really awesome. Some neat things happen. And that is cool. I mean, you, you ought really not create tornadoes. That's nasty. Well, yeah, it was, that's true enough. True enough. I, Went out to Nebraska to see one and <laughs> never did, and I finally did though. But uh, you, you, uh, you know, the city of Los Angeles could use you. Hey, get on their, get on their, uh, their payroll. Well, when it's still in L.A., you know, when you don't have a good offshore breeze or something, mm -hmm. uh, naturally you've got a lot of pollution. Sure. And anybody who could generate wind would be of, of truly great value. True. Yeah, my name's Dakota, by the way. Dakota. Dakota with the T. Dakota. Yeah. Hey, I got another thing I want to throw at you. I'd like your advice on real quick. Okay. I've talked to you before on this, and I never really got a straight answer from you. Anyway, what it involves was uh, this Sean uh, Morton, I think it was. Sean David Morton, yes. Yeah, there you go. He was on the other night. Yep. Anyway, and another fellow, probably about a year back, um, was talking about this Aurora project. Yes. Area 51. Right. Well, I've got a fact of proof with it, and I'd like to tell you a quick story about it because it's really it's pretty awesome. Well, wait a minute. You said you, you asked me a question and didn't get a straight answer. What was it? Excuse me? You said you asked me a question and didn't get a straight answer. What was it? Well, what it was was a couple of years back, um, I was living in a small town in southern Colorado, and a preacher friend of mine, um, I, was, I wasn't too old anyway, he took a vacation out to Lake Powell. Yes. Uh, and was using was on one of those ferry boat rides. Yes. And was using high speed photography just to take you know a picture of the scenery and da 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 da, and just took a picture in the in the afternoon time. And he got home and developed it. And all of a sudden there was this craft right in the middle of it that was just splitting the wind in two, and you could see like four huge jets coming out of the back of it. Yeah. And this guy didn't see it. He didn't hear it, nothing. Zelch. Just a chance in a million, right? A phantom craft. You got it. Uh -huh. So what he did, he sent it to the Pentagon. Uh, he, he took a couple of uh, you know proofs of it and kept them for himself and blew it up a little bit. He sent it to the Pentagon, and about two weeks later, the Pentagon sent back a letter. I have the letter that you know is Xerox copy, just stating that you know it's probably fluking your photography. Uh, it's nothing to worry about. We, but we'd like your negatives. Right. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So he knew he had something right away. He knew yeah, men in, men in black. You got it. So what he tried to do, and he contacted uh, Time Magazine. Yes. Right? And within two days, this must have put out a red light for him or something, because two days later, men in black came to his house. Here we go. He was, he was a minister, right? Mm -hmm. They put a federal warrant on his house saying that he was embezzling money through the church. Oh, boy. And they took him away. And in the meantime, in those two or three days, he gave me a picture, a fairly good-sized picture of this craft. Uh-huh. And uh, nobody, as far as I know, it's last one remaining, and it is just awesome. I mean, just, I mean, it, there's no way it's a fluke. There's no way that it's a fake. And, and it's fact. I mean, it's split in the air in two, and uh, it's just incredible, incredible. And I've been sitting on it for about five, five years now. And whoever you know, whoever doesn't know what I'm talking about, as far as what I understand is, is this craft is if let's say Russia were to send up a, a ICBM at us, right? That we'd have something so fast to travel over to Russia or wherever and knock out this ballistic missile on their own soil. All right. Well, I'm still 
not clear on what question you asked me that I did not answer properly. Okay, well, here you go. The thing that bothers me is I'm a patriot at heart. I mean, our government, you know, it's got its bad points, it's got its good points. Yes, yes. The thing is, I don't understand is, I know it's true, I just worry about national security. Now, last time I talked to you, you were like, oh, just send it in, I'll throw it on my website. Well, I contacted my... my oh, you mean the photograph? Yeah, the photograph. Well, right. Well, I, I talked to my state representative, my senator here in Colorado. Yes. And he immediately put me in with uh, Space Command down at NORAD. Yes. And NORAD told me what they what they believe it was, was what I said it was. Yes. And they want me to send it to them, for them to send it to the CIA, just to bury it. Huh. All right. Well, I, I'm going to give you the same answer I gave you before. Uh, don't send it to the CIA. Don't give it to the guys in suits. Send it to me. And I don't see how you can refer to that as an unsatisfactory reply. Because if I get it, I'll put it up on the web and everybody can see it. Well, that, that was a painful way to get to, to get an answer to that question. <laughs> to the lines we go on my weird person line you are on the air hello hello am i on the air you're on the air yeah uh well i was first of all i was uh a weird child uh when i was born i was born with uh web toes web toes uh yeah um web toes? i was always double jointed i could do weird things when i was a kid like uh you mean you actually have skin between all your toes not not all of them between two of my toes does it help you when you swim? <laughs> People always ask me that, but not really. Um, I was I was double jointed when I was a child. Uh, I could I could. Well, wrap, a lot a lot of people are double jointed. But I could do weird things like wrap my my legs and arms and uh, into like a pretzel, and I would walk around on my knees, and then I would like stick my stomach out to like about almost a foot, and then suck it in and scare my mom to death. Really. Yes, just just terribly weird. I would swallow stones. Swallow you you ate rocks. Yeah. Why did why? Because they because I could. Did they taste good? Um. Or was it just sort of a thing like, hey, <laughs> I can eat rocks. Watch. They, they they kind of felt good going down when they hit the stomach. That also scared my mother. Uh, that would scare me. <laughs> well. D uh, what I, size rocks could you? I mean, you, you, surely you couldn't eat a jagged rock. Uh, no, they were round, smooth rocks. Uh, like you'd find I in a pond or maybe at the beach or something that had been worn away by the water. No, just right out in the yard. Yard rocks? Yeah. Uh, where, where, where are you, by the way? Uh, right now I'm calling from Maybrook, New York. Maybrook, New York. Where were you when you were eating rocks? Uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, do you have any idea whether the rocks... Now, obviously, a rock is not something that you're, you're going to be able to assimilate and digest. Well, that's what my mother was worried about. So she called the doctor, and the doctor said not to worry that they would pass right through, which I don't remember happening. But uh, another thing that I did is I, I took a stick, and I started digging a hole in my knee, and uh, right back to the bone. You, what? what? I would dig, I'd take a kind of a pointy stick, and I would start digging a... Uh, hole in your knee? Yeah, in my knee. And then I see some white stuff in there, and that... Uh, That's probably your bone. Yeah, I, I, it was bone or cartilage or something. It was kind of neat. But that, you know, it, I just had a weird life. Just completely oddball weird. You're right. You are weird. 
Now, <laughs> how how old are you now? Oh, uh, I'm 37. 37. Now, when did uh, how long were you eating rocks? <laughs> well, I stopped. My mother made me stop after a while, but I would say uh, for about a week or so. A week of eating rocks. Yeah. Uh, do you do you have any idea what caused you to well, be? When I, I was told my father was in the service, and I was told that uh, he was on a cruiser. This is how the story goes: uh, a, a Navy cruiser during the atomic testing. Yes. And I've always had a theory that that sort of uh, kind of passed on to me. Ah, so you think he may have been genetically irradiated, causing well, a defect in you, which caused you to eat rocks and pick your well, knee open. Well, yeah, but I don't consider my consider it a defect. I consider it kind of like an enhancement, you know what I mean? Kind of like a superior being, uh, the, a mutant, like, like on the X-Men or something like that. Do you dig? Yeah, I do. Um, do you still feel that, for example, today you could eat a rock and that... Oh, definitely. I could definitely eat a rock. It would, it would do, do, you, do you actually find yourself longing for, for an occasional rock? Well, considering that the nutritional value of most of the food nowadays isn't all that high, I would think a rock would be uh, fairly good for you. Well, there would be trace minerals, certainly. Well, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of dirt. Dirt is supposed to be good for you, really, if you think about it. You didn't eat dirt, did you? Well, there was dirt on a rock. That's true. Uh, so I suppose, in a way, your body probably did assimilate some of what you ate. Well, I would think so. I, I've never, like I said, I don't remember passing them. Um, Have uh, you ever seen a snake eat a mouse? Uh, no, I don't believe I have. It's really horrible. You can see the mouse actually, you know, as a giant lump, slowly going down the snake uh, and and being digested as it, as it goes. Doesn't the snake's jaw kind of disconnect so it can... That's right. Out? That's yeah, exactly that that's exactly right. Now you what what size rocks? I mean, did you eat what well, I, we would generally call a pebble? Oh no, I like about a bird's egg size rock. I mean, I couldn't obviously oh, take a five pound rock and swallow. <laughs> Excuse me, and swallow it. I mean, it was it just a stone, nothing, you know, fancy. Well, look, I'm not exactly sure how to classify you, but you're definitely up there on a scale of ten. Uh, sir, it doesn't end there, but I don't know if you have enough time for me. You mean there's more? There, there's more. I hate to admit it. Well, uh, I, I do have time for you. Well, when I was 16 or in my teenage years, I was pretty much, I don't know, the village idiot. You know, kind of not too smart of a guy, you know? <laughs> well, probably from eating rocks. And... <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, see, what I did is I, I kind of sat wait, down... Wait a minute. Let... let... Let this be a cliffhanger. Can you afford to hold on? Uh, I don't know. I've got a prepaid phone card. I'm, I'm uh, not that rich. All right. Well, call me back then, and, and we'll, we'll continue. Tonight or today? Well, no, tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yeah. Sure, I can do that. All right. I'll look forward to your... I'll think of you as a rock man, all right? Rock man. All right. All right. Thank you. Okay. What do you folks think? That deserves a good 8 out of 10. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from October 21st, 1997. 
Premier Radio Networks presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired October 21st, 1997. Well, as you can see, I'm doing weird tonight, and I'm definitely not disappointed. We've had some real winners thus far. What do you folks think? Tony? Anyway, it continues. If you uh, think you qualify as an exceptionally weird person for one reason or another, I have my weird person line open since I'm going to be an official judge in a contest of this sort. I thought I might prepare. And there probably is no way to prepare for something like this. So anyway, that's what we're doing, for whatever that's worth. This month in the After Dark magazine, read all about the magical powers of the human body, including psychometry, where everyday objects offer portals to other dimensions of information, or organ energy. Maybe you shook hands with somebody and felt a surge of information about that person. It's all in the March issue of After Dark. Subscribe now by calling toll-free the new number, one 261 6392 That's 1-888-261-6392. 1-888-261-6392. Now we take you back to the night of October 21st, 1997, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. There was a young woman named Bright, who could travel faster than light. She went up one day in a relative way and returned the previous night. On my weird line, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, hi, Art. Hi. How you doing? Okay. Art, basically what I do that's weird is go around all day walking up to strangers and asking them, what does it feel like to be alive on this planet? Really? Yes. And what sort of responses do you garner? Well, uh, a lot of them give me a double take. Well, you know, I, uh, you know for, if you were to do that to me, yeah. I might regard that as a threat. In other words, like you're asking me, you know, how does it feel to be alive on the planet, in in a way to suggest how would it feel not to be alive. <laughs> yeah, well, some of them would rather, they would say, well, I'd rather talk that to a psychiatrist than saying it out to you. Some of them give me a double take, as I said. Some of them want to talk about the actual miracle of life here. And then we'll get into talking about life and the different nuances and I'll well share. it definitely has its ups and downs I mean there's a lot of ways of looking at it life sometimes is wonderful and sometimes it's a total bummer yeah I like to share my personal philosophies so I'll even uh, put out ideas that you know passing people by in the street is a totally unnatural thing I mean we all tolerate it but I like to share that idea with people and see what they think about it. Now, I'll go do this in malls, in parks, in bookstores. Really? Uh, train stations, uh, bus stations, wherever I can get around. Um, you probably scare people. Well, if I scare people, I think maybe they're neurotic, you know? Um, well, there is that. Seemingly... However, my behavior would be taken as neurotic, but in a sense... Well, abnormal. 
uh, because the only way we can, you know, normal is a strange kind of word anyway. I mean, what's normal? The only way you can suggest uh, that something is normal is by averages. In other words, that, say, nine out of ten people would say you're neurotic or strange. And so by that measure, I suppose we could say you are, according to the norm, neurotic. That doesn't necessarily make you so, but there's a good chance you are. Yeah, there's a psychiatrist that's dead now named R.D. Lang who spoke to this whole thing, and he said the people that go around the way they do in everyday society, robotic-like, yeah. dead, yep. uh, this uh, is actually more abnormal than the so-called neurotic. In other words, yeah. uh, the way people pass each other by in everyday society... And you think it's really dumb that people, in effect, pass each other on the street without any form of communication Yeah, I think or, that, or interaction? Well, see, we're tribal people in a sense, and the way society has been structured, uh, matter of fact, the, the social nature of us is not social in the natural, intimate sense of the word. No, absolutely not. You're right. Uh, so, we are very distant from each other in modern society, and you are doing your little part to change that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which could land you in a mental institution. Right. Now, this is what all the prophets did, and they were considered that crazy, too. I mean, if they came back today, any of the prophets, they would probably be put in an institution, as you say. Um, well, I wonder when they put you in and then did your examination and tried to determine if you were sane or not, what a psychiatrist would have to say about you. I think he'd probably be under the old structure, which, you know, tries to put um, dysfunctional, uh, f make people functional and put them back in a dysfunctional society, which so he'd try to cure is impossible. He would try to cure you. Yeah. That seems to be the psychiatrist's way of things, to mm -hmm. put people back into a dysfunctional society, mm -hmm. so-called functional, which I don't think you can do. Well, I follow you. And, uh, well, I'm calling from King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, okay. which is a strange name, first of all. It is. Many people realize what that is. That is an actual town It's here. probably a small town, isn't it? Yeah, it has the largest shopping mall uh, the third largest shopping mall in the country. See, in, in New York or Los Angeles, yeah. you would not actually be uh, thought of as particularly strange. Or, uh, you, you know, as somebody who stands out because you're going around asking people this question. But I would imagine in King of Prussia, uh, well, they probably think of you as... Well, it also has Valley Forge National Historic Park in it. Mm -hmm. and, the, and one of the biggest malls in the country so it's a it's a one and the other in other words it's two of the most opposite things you can have like a natural uh paradigm combined with the biggest mall one of the biggest malls in the country what is the most interesting answer you ever got to your question um basically i guess it runs along the lines of some of the same things that people say that you know just the fact that we have arms and legs here and are standing up is like a miracle in itself. Like, that very fact, you know what I mean? Just what is for a lot of people. All right, sir, well, I, I appreciate the call. I can imagine 
that you would have some difficulty in a small Pennsylvania town walking around asking people that kind of question. So, yes, you're weird. Probably, though, no more than, say, about five on a scale of ten. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Ray from Peoria. How you doing? Uh, not too bad. Uh, you still got open lines? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I'm glad you made it back all right. Oh, me too. Uh, there were moments when I wasn't sure. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yes. I had uh, one question and one quick comment. Uh, I was wondering, did you ever uh, contact Father Malachi Martin? Before you went? Yes. Um, get into I, some of the secret places? I did, but the problem was the Good Father's contact at the Vatican was at that time in South America preparing for the Pope, because you remember the Pope was going to South America. Ah. And so his contact was not in place, and we didn't get to do it. <laughs> okay, well, I just had one little comment uh, about the Roswell incident. Yes. You know, something I've never heard brought up. Mm -hmm. It seems to me it can only be one of two ways. One, something actually crashed that was totally unknown, mm -hmm. and they have it. Mm -hmm. Or two, they're putting people so incompetent in charge of our nuclear weapons, <laughs> I think that's scarier than the first. Well, if you're worried about our officialdom with regard to nuclear weapons, you better look at what's going on over in Russia. That'll yeah. really scare the hell out of you. With the suitcase nukes and everything oh, disappearing. Oh, man, a hundred of them. Yeah. What would you, if you had a suitcase nuke... Yeah. What would you do with it? Boy, that's a hard question. <laughs> I, I know. Personally, I wouldn't want one. <laughs> well, I know, but let's say you were given one. Yeah. Right. Free of charge. Suitcase mm -hmm. nuke. It's all yours. Well, I don't know if that's a question I can even answer. I can't even imagine having something like that. That's just... Be a lot of personal power. <laughs> yeah. Be a lot of responsibility, too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, that's the way power is. Yeah. Well, anyway, you think that over, and if you ever come up with an answer, call me. Sure will. All That's right. right. Take care. All right. Yeah. What would you do if you had one of those hundred suitcase newts? Boy, I'm telling you, local changes, no problem. Be something, huh? On my weird line, you're on the air. Good morning. Uh, yes, Art. I just uh, just call me me from Alabama. Okay, okay, it's me from Alabama. Okay, um, I'd, I'd like to talk about something about me being weird. Plus, I'd thought, like to end it with talking about these scientists uh, inventing the, or having these clones on these torsos. Oh, yes, well, oh. two separate subjects, or maybe not. Uh, how are you weird? Okay, uh, I walk around with money in my shoes. I've got four type shoes, and the rest of my shoes are sandals and high heels. Yeah. And the largest amount of money I walk on is at least $4. Well, why do you do that? And it's all in change. Well, oh, wait a minute. You, money you... that I find in parking lots and things like that, and I put it in the right shoe, yeah. and I get money within a couple of days. It may not be money. Most of the time it's money. So in other, words, it... in other words, it is your theory that if you find money or even put money in your shoe, that will cause you to find money. Well, is that, is that it? Give, when I put the money in my shoe and walk on it, yeah. it uh, I've i handed money. Money's given to me. Wow. And one time I found a dime and a nickel, and that's mostly more than I find. Usually it's pennies. And I thought, well, I wonder what I'm gonna get for that. And I was given three hundred dollars within two days later. 
And wow. uh, I, uh, people laugh at me because when I take my shoes off somewhere where we're sitting around, there's always some change in my shoes. And every pair that I have except my sandals or high heels have uh, money in it. How did you discover that this works? Well, the Bible says, whatsoever the soles of your feet tread on, that shall you possess. Boy, and, uh, it's hard I to believe they were that. talking. About, it's hard to believe they were talking about money there, though. Well, the, my, the sole of my feet's on it, isn't it? Well, you can't you can't argue with success. No. <laughs> now, can I mention that about the uh, torsos that they're inventing for the parts, human parts? Absolutely. Did you see on television? It was on uh, either hard copy or excess. I'm not really sure. The first of this week where this doctor was on there that had, uh, he had successfully moved, removed a head from a baboon and put it on another one. Oh, no. And he wants to do this to a human, and they showed this paralegic in a wheelchair, and he said he would be willing for them to, if they found the body, like mm -hmm. a body in a wreck that wasn't nothing wrong with it. Put his head on it. Be willing to put his head on it. He said, you, if you was in my shoes, you would think so different than, you know. Of course. And the doctor said that he's in the process of getting the spine, you know, where the head connects. Yeah. When he gets that thoroughly done, which they've already successfully done it on a baboon, he's going to do it on a human. You know what worries me even more than that? I once had a guest on the show who said, we now have the technical capability to keep a head alive. By itself. Uh, 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 uh. With no body. Well, Just they head. probably do. Like you said a while ago, they can do that. But, well, they can do the, the cold, too. They just don't want to do it. I ha look, going back now to your earlier thing, it's very intriguing. Do you find that there's any difference in the amount of money you put in your shoe in terms of what will come to you then from doing well, that? Well, yes, sir, I did because... Uh, Usually I find uh, people lose pennies for some reason. I don't know why they don't lose more, but they lose pennies. Well, i tell you one, one reason. People don't even pick up pennies. It's come to the stage now where a penny is worth so little that if it's on the ground, people won't even bother to reach down and pick it up. Well, I do, and I try to put it in the right shoe. Yep. What I mean is, let's say you had 25 cents in your shoe. Um, and then let's say on another day you had a $100 bill in your shoe. Would there be a difference in what they would bring? I believe it. Well, yes, from what I've experimented on the small change that I have, I know because now I haven't put a $100 bill in there. That would kind of, you know, rot out of there. <laughs> but. Well, a $100 bill, all things considered, would be easier to walk on than, say, 25 cents. Yes, it would. But it seems like the money that I have placed in my shoe has been money that I found. seems like just finding it kind of adds to the. The, uh, I understand. The ability that it's going to happen, like I found the dime and the nickel. And I thought, gosh, wonder what that's going to bring. And uh, I got $300 unexpectedly within about two days. Totally cool. 15 and 15 is 30. Like bank, bank error in your favor, like you a are. monopoly. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. I'm going to have to give that a try. Have any of the rest of you ever done that? You find money, change, small change, pennies even, and put it in your right shoe. And then within a day or two, money will come to you through some, you know, unexpected way. Somebody will hand you money, 
bank error in your favor, whatever, you will make money. Hmm. I've always had a thing about pennies, and I always, always, always pick them up. Very important to me. I, I feel as though if I ever leave a penny, I know this is, you know, it's very superstitious, but if I ever leave a penny, I think that I will have terrible financial trouble. So I don't do it. I always pick up pennies. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, yes. Good morning. Uh, uh, good morning, Mr. Bell. It's an honor to speak to you, and uh, welcome back from your trip from Egypt. This is Steve. Hi, Steve. Uh, from the Area 51 line and the MIB line and all that. Oh, that's Steve. I got a new Steve. phone. How, yes. I got a new phone. How do you like it? A lot better than the old one? Oh, Steve, it is superb. Thank you. Uh, I've been uh, ordered to return tonight and uh, actually defend David John Oates. Really? Yeah, the earlier caller. Uh, and actually, I do agree. Uh, I would like to defend David Oates. But first, I think I need to apologize for what I said in reverse about him being a rotten schmuck. So sorry, David. Uh, That's right. Uh, people, uh, people can't control what they say in reverse. I know that. But, but I w you and I were talking about the NASA PR men, and I was thinking about them. Yeah. So I think I was, t I was talking about them. Well, and, it could be. And you know where there was the other reversal where I said I beef it up? Yeah. That was the security at Area 51 I was thinking about. Oh. And where I said I make it up at the beginning, I was uh -huh. talking about my name. I was going to use Richard uh, Charles Hoagland's first two uh, names <laughs> and call myself Ricardo Carlos. Yes. But I couldn't get the Spanish accent right. So I, I see. And uh, stole my life reversal. You know, the men in black? Yes. Uh, I was thinking about the women in black. See, I tell the men in black what to do, but the, the women in black tell me what to do, and I was thinking about that. That's what I meant by stole my life. Hmm. I bet you're interested in find the script. Vaguely. Mm -hmm. Find the script, the reversal. Uh, it was on the other side of the room, and I didn't have it with me. And he had one reversal, David did. It said, I'm arrogant. Mm -hmm. But I was actually thinking in my mind, it was near the end of the call, I was thinking, I'm going to have to be on the air again. Hmm. And, and that's why that happened like that. And he said on another reversal that I pierced a big enemy. Mm-hmm. But that was actually me saying, I fear it's the big enemy. Hmm. And I, I also can tell you why uh, you were knocked off the air that night. Why? You were knocked off the air by the Supreme Commandant. Of what? Of the Palladian Alliance. Uh, uh, she told me all about it and showed me a 3D image of the caller called David from Philadelphia, who should have sent you a package by now. And uh, Not that it, I know of. And uh, Well, he will. And he believes it's a hoax now, but he doesn't realize that he has been forced to believe that he hoaxed the call. But it was the call was timed. His call, he was forced to time his call to when she blacked out the satellite so that it would create more credibility. So it was definitely a she who did it. Yes. Uh, yes, and, and she wanted me to Figures. tell you about Ed Dames and his explanation for the lights over Phoenix. Yes. Uh, since Ed Dames has been in the government, since the time he's left, the government's got new and more advanced remote viewers, and yeah. they're so advanced that the government dispatched them out to Phoenix on the day they knew it. Ed Dames and associates would be remote viewing to find out what the lights were. Yeah. And these new government advanced remote viewers were able to project images 
of industrial infrared lasers intersecting each other into the minds of Ed Dames and his associates to cause him and to break the belief barrier and cause him to believe that that's what caused the lie. So you're telling me that Ed Dames was remotely influenced. He was remotely programmed, and mm. I've got all the documents here. I can explain who did it and how, and I can even tell you uh, something about uh, Bill Clinton visiting South America and how he visited those uh, military families down there. You know. All right, well, we'll have to hold it there. We're at the top of the hour. Thanks for all of that info, and we'll have to check with Ed and see what he thinks. <laughs> we'll be right back. Stay right where you are. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from October 21st, 1997. We've got a toll-free line, a international toll-free line. It will not cost you anything. So if you're sitting there listening to a real audio right now from AudioNet in Dallas, those good people, anywhere in the world, you can call us by getting hold of the AT&T operator or getting the AT&T USA direct country code for your country and then dialing 800-893-0903. That's 800-893-0903. I'm always forgetting to read that. On my weird line, you're on the air. Hello. Hey, Art. Hi. Uh, this is Dave. I'm calling you from central Iowa. Iowa, yes. Nation's heartland. Um, gosh. When I was a little kid, um, there were these, I don't know if this was a dream or what, but it was constant, constantly happening to me. These creatures would come into my room. Really? And I would refer to them as beaties. Beaties? Yes. And they were tiny little, like, three-foot-tall creatures with heads that looked like pickaxes, totally black-colored, like night black. Oh, man. But uh, the thing that got to me was some of them had a paper sacks with large, big black eyes. And like a few years ago, I saw that uh, book, cover of a book by, uh, I think, Whitley Strieber. That's right. Communion. Yes. 
And uh, and you recognized them? And uh, vaguely, yes. I don't know if that's what it was, but it scared the heck out of me. I I don't know if that's what it was, but like these things would come into my room at night. And do what? Well, surround me and make this weird noise. It was kind of like a kind of like, but like it was all out of sync. There was like a lot of them doing. Let me let me hear that again. It was like a kind of like a weird like breathing through your teeth noise. Oh, but some of it sounded like kind of like it was coming out of an electronic box or something. It was really. I thought that sounded like the guys who breathe in the slasher movies. It, yeah, who knows? But it was I don't know. I I've only told my parents and like one friend about it, and it's. You know, it, it was like when I was two or three years old. I can remember it way back then. It was it was just always at this one old house we lived at. It's never happened. You know, after that, it was something else, I guess. Very weird, sir. Mm-hmm. Definitely weird. Do you think they did anything to you? Um, gosh, you know, I don't know, uh, other than the fact that it, it was way too intense to have been a dream. I mean, you, maybe it was. I don't know. Little kids have wild imaginations. Well, I suppose but... you told your mom or dad. Oh, yeah. What'd they say? Uh, I think they just shrugged it off as, you know, dumb little kid, yeah. whatever. But... Did you go under the covers? Uh, yeah. Like, I used to wake up on the floor uh, under the bed. And, you know, I don't remember getting there, but heck if I know. I guess I'll never know what it was. Is there anything unusual now in your adult life that you can ascribe to? Um, you know, after I've, I read Strieber's books and stuff, and I tried to think of any sort of a weird, uh, you know, missing time type of thing or anything like that. Sure. And I can't think of anything that's happened since then, so hmm. it might have just been like a, like a dream thing or something. Who knows? How old are you now? I'm 23 right now. 23. Well, there's a lot of life left for you, mm-hmm. and it may yet manifest itself. Well, I, maybe I'm better off never finding out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe you are. Thank you uh, very much for the call. I don't like the sound of that. Little guys about three feet tall with heads like pickaxes. Yuck. Total yuck. West of the Rockies, you are on the air. Good morning. Hi, Art. Hello. Where are you? Um, in Alabama, actually. Alabama. All right. Um, kind of transplanted from Pennsylvania, but um, I like to eat paste. Come again? Paste. Paste? You mean like Elmer's glue, that kind of paste? Yeah. Um, I ate paste when I was a little kid. Yeah. First grade. Do you ever have like um, you like roll them up in your palm and make the like peeling skin off your your hand, right? Now you're talking about. Super glue. No, not super glue, because that stuff sticks your fingers together. I mean, like... Well, I mean, you said peel the skin off your hand. Oh, yeah. Well, no, 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 not literally peel the skin off your hand, but you take the Elmer's white glue... Yeah. ...and you put it on your hand, and you let it dry. Yeah. And then when you peel it off, it looks like your skin. Yeah. And you you would eat that? Yeah. That, or, um, like the kind of, uh... Sticky, stinky stuff that smells kind of funny, like in art class when you're a little kid. It's kind of white, but I don't. How much uh, of it did you eat? Whenever, well, actually, whenever I got the chance. Really? I mean, is is that the sort of thing you got to develop a taste for, or did you naturally, you know, I mean, how did it start? Did you like casually lick your hand one day and say, "Ooh, that's good"? <laughs> I don't know. It's. 
I always thought that when I was a little kid, it, it smelled kind of good and it tastes a little sweet. Mm. It's um, I don't know if it just starts from enjoying playing with it. Yeah. You know, but it always it's got a nice kind of sweet kind of taste to it. It's like a candy kind of thing, and I don't know. I always just kind of enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know how actually how how much of it do you actually think you might have consumed in my lifetime? Well, yeah. I mean, if, if we're talking about uh, your average Elmer's glue bottle. Okay, well, I don't know. I think, like, from, like, a... Because, actually, the first time, I, you know, you really come in contact with it is, like, when you're, like, in first grade or second grade, right? Right. And um, I think when I really got interested in it a little bit, um, I, if I get the chance now, you know, I'll kind of take a little, a little bit of a lick of it. Yeah. But, I mean, I, it's not like when I was a kid. So it's like you don't feast on it now. No, uh, no. But you did when you were young. But I haven't had it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But, I mean, I... Did, I an, have, did anybody, your teachers, your mother, your father, anybody ever talk to you about it? No, it wasn't like a, a mom or dad kind of at the house thing. It yeah. was more of an in-class, like... Wednesday art class kind of thing. Sure, when they'd give you a glue and you'd be all right. Well, uh, do you, were there any effects that you suffered uh, or enjoyed uh, from this? In other words, as the glue passed through your system, I I don't really think so. Except for, like I said, I don't know. I don't know how how weird this is, but I mean, I'm not necessarily embarrassed about it by now. You know. No, it's all right. I you know what I used to eat. What erasers. Erasers? Yeah. The, the pink kind? Uh, well, you know, like erasers on the end of a pencil. Right. I always thought they tasted reasonably decent. Well, there's a kind that it has, uh, it's about like an inch, in, well, it's about three quarters of an inch wide, about two inches long. It's called a pink pow. You know what kind that is? Yeah, I wouldn't eat that. You can, That's too much. It though. Uh, well, yeah. But it's, well, anyway. So you ate glue. Yeah, absolutely. Paste. It's not exactly glue. It's, it, well, it is Paste. glue, but I don't mean like in the rubber cement kind of way. Yeah. Not the kind that you get on the brush, but right. I mean the paste that comes, it's a specific kind. Elmer's makes it, and when you open it up, it has a, a paddle inside, like a little thin kind of plastic. Sure. You know what I, you know what I mean? Sure, of course, I remember it. It was, I don't know, it, it's kind of tasty. Well, but, all I right. I don't know if that's weird or not. I, I don't know. Uh, it may even have nutritional value, for all I know. I have absolutely no idea. I've never right. how, old, how old are you now? Uh, 25. 25. Yeah. Uh, it may be that um, you don't naturally eliminate it, and one day when you have not had enough liquids, the paste will solidify and glue you shut. Well, um, I had to have my appendix out in March. I don't know. If I, <laughs> I kind of wonder if that had anything to do with it. Either that or chewing bubble gum. <laughs> yeah, swall a lot of people swallow bubble gum. Yeah. That's not good. Well, All right, well, listen, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, you, Art. You definitely qualify as uh, in there. He eats paste. Now, as an adult, he does not consume large quantities, as he did earlier, but rather takes an occasional lick. On my international line, you are on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art. Where are, are you? you? Hello. Hello. Yeah, okay. Hey, welcome back. Well, thank you. Uh, where are you? Uh, from Kamloops, uh, British Columbia. All right. Larry? Yes, Larry. 
Yes. Uh, while you were away, there was a, an item that made the national news here in Canada on the other CBC network uh-huh. about uh, two uh, amateur inventors in, uh, it was either Rockland, Quebec, or Rock Island, Quebec, Yes. who claimed that they came up with a device that attaches onto a conventional uh, car engine and uh, produces no emissions. A pretty bold claim. I should say. Now, where are where are these guys now? Well, this was big news for two or three days in the media up here, and then nothing since. Uh, That's they always they the a, way it is. They claimed they had a, a a Toyota or something running in a garage for 24 hours with mm-hmm. emissions equipment hooked up to it, and that it gave off no emissions. Mm-hmm. This, if this is true, this is something that's a win-win for environmentalists and oil companies. Well, you know why you haven't heard anything else, though, don't you? Well, I can imagine the old 100-mile-per-gallon carburetor. You've got it. The oil companies have dungeons, and people like that are in dungeons. Well, they claim that they uh, have been inundated with calls from every conceivable oil, gas, uh, other interested parties. Uh, if you had to guess, do you think they're still alive? <laughs> well, I would certainly hope so, but this was a prominent story in the news up here, and then it lasted three days, and I've heard nothing since. Mm-hmm. Well, so you might want to keep your ear to the ground to hear if you, if you hear any more on this. Well, you're in Canada, right? Yeah, well, so, I'm, I'd like to. I'm going to contact the CBC myself to try and find out if they have any more information on it. If you can get me a number, if you can get I me a name, I have your fax number. You have their fax number? No, I have your fax number. Oh, my fax number. Okay, I then. I can send you the information if I find fax something else. Send it to me and I will immediately follow up. I thought you'd be interested in this story. Of course. Right, I, I, I would even be willing to um, interview them from an oil company dungeon. <laughs> All right, well, I'll do a little digging and see if I can come up with any more information. And if anybody else listening knows any more about it, you know, call in. All right. All right, Art. That's thank cool. You. Thank you very much. Sure. Um, of course I would interview somebody like that, or a pair of somebody's like that. But I fear for their safety, particularly in view of the fact that there has been no follow-up. First time caller line. Oh, actually, weird line. You're on the air. Hello. Oh, hello, Art. Let me turn off the radio. Yes. Oh, yes, please. Thank you. Do that. Mm-hmm. been enjoying it, and I'm so glad you're back. I missed you a lot. Well, I missed being here. Believe me. Uh I'm weird because I've had these strange uh, strange and psychic experiences in my life. And uh, I, I don't know how weird you think they are, but they seem to have fallen into three or four categories. Like what? Well, okay, the categories are like whatever happened. Uh, a couple of past lives that I learned about when I was a kid. And and you got to understand, I'm 54 years old, and this is, just, this, is, this is not just a hoot, but I really believe this about myself, but... Uh, I, in retrospect, these were past life experiences, and then I went through a period of some, you know, like out of body type visioning things that turned out to happen. And then uh, uh, there's a spiritual nature, and there was just a couple of prophetic dreams, and uh, I, I don't know. I felt strange about it all my life, and uh, well, I don't think that's weird. It's not. No. No. Uh, well, I just. Uh, well, I mean, not at least not in the context of my program. That's, well, that's I, the norm. Actually, I... I uh, now, people who eat glue, swallow rocks, collect toenails, that's now weird. That's weird. That's yeah, weird. That, that, that toenail thing there, uh, that, that was a real kick to me. Can you imagine an entire uh, coffee can full of toenails? 
I just wonder, uh, you know, if that might not be a, uh, a pollution problem in relationship to releasing mass amounts of athletes foot into the atmosphere. Oh, my God, I never thought about that. <laughs> I hope he keeps it closed. <laughs> <laughs> you mean with the plastic lid on? Yeah, well, it's filled with wax, preferably, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you very much. No, psychic experiences cannot be considered weird on this program. They are the norm. Weird are some of the other things that we've heard about this morning. On my weird line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art. How are you doing? All right. Where are you? I'm calling from San Jose, California. Okay. KSFO country. Yes, sir. And uh, glad to hear you back from Egypt. Hope you had a good time. I did. And the uh, reason I'm calling is the reason is I am none other than the great Satchidananda. The what? The great Satchidananda. What, what is that? Well, I am a master in the Great White Brotherhood. Great White Brotherhood? Yeah, you haven't heard of that? Is that like some sort of racist thing? No, 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 no. It's got nothing to do with that. Well, it sounds that way. I mean, Great White Brotherhood. Well, white, in this case, refers to the light. Oh. Okay, then why don't you call it the Great Light Brotherhood? Well, that's another good name for it, actually. I'd take that suggestion. The important thing is whatever people feel that it means, you know, that means the right thing, not what the words are. Are you like an offshoot of the Trilateral Commission? No, in fact, we're the reverse. The Trilateral Commission is a member of what we call the false Illuminati, the eye on the pyramid. But we are the pyramid in the eye. Well, wait a minute. You're the pyramid in the eye? That's right. There's two ways of looking at reality. Uh-huh. Right? Either you feel that your being is contained within a physical reality, which is the literally the eye in the pyramid, which is probably what you were when you went off to Egypt, right? You were the eye inside the pyramid. I was the eyes in the pyramid. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I was even in the sarcophagus. Really cool. I've got a picture on the uh, website. Uh, you know, I haven't gotten to that yet. I've got it. As a matter of fact, now, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Do you mind if I take a second out to tell everybody about something? I'd be delighted. There was a UFO that appeared over Las Vegas this last Friday, and I received a whole bunch of faxes and email about it, and finally, somebody sent me a photograph uh, taken from a video shot of what appeared over Las Vegas, and it's on my website right now. And uh, it, it, thank you for reminding me. So anybody who wants wow. to see, yeah, right. Anybody who wants to see what appeared over Las Vegas, it's at www.artbell.com. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Anyway. So, you know, the sarcophagus figures into this thing because, you see, the pyramid was an initiation um, uh, an initiation place to show people that to transcend from becoming the, the consciousness, the being trapped with inside physical reality, to get them to so more or less die. And when they die, not literally, but figuratively, mm -hmm. and when they died, they realized that all of physical reality is contained within consciousness. Actually, the reverse. That's what I mean by the pyramid in the eye. How many people are in this, I presume it is a secret brotherhood, well, it's, it's, it is a secret brotherhood, but it's not secret by virtue of the fact that um, we don't tell anybody. It's mostly secret by the fact that nobody will believe you when you tell them. That's what makes it so weird in the context of today's... See, now society. that's exactly how the Trilateral Commission flourishes. Well, the darkness always tries to emulate the light. But, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, uh, though your goals may be different, uh, you sound a lot alike. Well, that's because the best disguise for the devil is his God, right? 
So you consider, well, I'm sure the people in the Trilateral Commission consider themselves to be light beings. They do, but there's one difference. You can always tell them, Mark, which is they will always try to trap and control people and take away their freedom. We in the Great Light Brotherhood, taking your suggestion, will always try to bring people to themselves. Like, I'm not a guru. I may be a master, but I'm not a guru. I would never ask anybody to follow me because, you know what, you know this, Everyone recognizes the truth for, for, for itself when they hear it. Everyone always makes the judgment of truth by themselves. Do you guys have, like, secret ceremonies and secret handshakes and stuff? Eh, sometimes, you know, sometimes people get together, but not really. It's not really a brotherhood in the physical sense that we get together with meetings or whatever. But we know each other when we encounter each other and we talk to each other and we recognize the, the hallmarks. Okay, how would you recognize another brother? Well, um, one way to do it would be to talk to them for a while, and if they if they tell me the great secret, the last secret, which is there's only one consciousness in the universe, not many, then I know right away. That it's a brother. Yes. Okay. Well, that's cool. Thank you. Is that weird? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Take care. You too, Art. Bye. Yeah. You know what you're hearing here? This is Cusco. It's from Apuramac 3. And guess what the name of this cut is? <laughs> it's called Pahrump. Big water. Is that cool or what? Pahrump, Big Water, from Apuramac 3 by Cusco. Honoring my little town. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from October 21st, 1997. Somewhere in time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from October 21st, 1997. Here I am indeed, and we are doing what's called a weird line tonight. I'm doing this in preparation for becoming a judge, to be a judge, because a Strange Universe is going to have a contest to find the weirdest person in the world, and I already have several obvious contestants this morning, don't I? So I can see this is going to be fun.
No question about it. Uh, here's a fax from somebody. Uh, hi, Art. Just about everybody I know, including myself, thinks I'm weird. For example, my favorite desert dish, excuse me, dessert, is a vanilla ice cream with a rich topping of Pepto-Bismol and a couple of slices of pickle. I also prefer to drive my car in reverse rather than forward and with deflated tires. What do you think of that? Regards from Merrick in Vancouver, B.C. You drive your car in reverse with deflated tires? Whew. Definitely abnormal. On my weird line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, uh, Art. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> that, that one broke me up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I learned to do something a long time ago, and I talked to you off air for a little bit. Right. Anyway, I can separate traffic, okay? And what I do is, is this is your Los Angeles listeners are on now. Are you they can se oh, of course. You can separate traffic? Yes, what I do is, is I learn to do this through, through a certain amount of meditation and, and incantation. And, and what I can do is I can separate them just by, you meditate first and you do this over a study of a period of time. And, uh, for the Los Angeles listeners, this will be important to them. Very. I used to work in Long Beach and I used to go over to, uh, San Pedro area, okay. And that, that 405 over there is about, uh, oh, 10 lanes wide anyway. And, yep. and, and I was in a hurry always because I worked the night shift. Sure. And the traffic would just get out of my way. Just get out of my way. And when I go past a car, as an example, when I'm driving, let's say up to Santa Barbara, when I yeah. used to do that now, because uh -huh. I live in the Oregon coast at this moment. But anyway, what I do is I get up near a car and they always pull back because I'm thinking that they're thinking that I am going faster than them, and the truth of the matter is I'm not. And what they do is they back off their throttle, and I go right past them. I, and I'll tell you what, it works 90% of the time. So you induce in them you, you bet. a feeling that, that you are really, really going fast, and they need to Absolutely. get out of your way. Absolutely. And the thing is, I stopped doing this, and, and the, these your L.A. listeners will be able to verify this, for the last four or five years, I lived in Los Angeles, which is in the late late seventies uh, and early eighties. Uh, there was eight shootings on the four hundred five. You don't and you don't think you were responsible, do you? No, no, no. I'm not responsible, but I thought that maybe if I did this kind of thing and people didn't know what was going on, they might take a shot at me. But there, there's a better one than that. Now this one is a little different, but it comes out the same. I can stop the rain. Now here is the the kicker to that. Uh, I had, uh, uh, this is done through emotion. Now, I won't say this is You can stop rain. Yes, I've done it. I had a Well, then you are the answer to that famous question posed by Credence Clearwater Revival. No, I'm going I'm to, I'm going to, Remember that whole stop the rain? I'll tell you what, I could, I could demonstrate it to you if you give me a reason to. Now, this was the reason. Well, it doesn't rain enough here to make a good demonstration. <laughs> but no, I, I seriously did this, and I have a, well, why I say I have 125 witnesses or thereabouts is I had a dear, dear friend that died. I felt I felt prematurely, and, and 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 I was very, very upset. And his wife, which was a dear friend of mine, also was very upset. And, and it was a rainy, rainy day that they buried him. Okay. Sure. And and the thing is, is I walked her back to the car. The poor lady. Okay. So I did that. The widow. And, and the thing is, 
And the thing is, is I felt so bad. And the thing is, I felt bad through the funeral. Because this was an outdoor funeral because they didn't have the money. Art. It really was sad for me. Still sad. Anyway, and what I did is, is I talked to, call it God if you wish, but I wanted the rain to stop. I didn't want it to rain on her. He didn't matter. And so I, I knelt by her on, in the car, in the, in the uh, you know, the limousine and so forth. And, and during that period of time, it had stopped raining. And I'd done this twice, and it was all over an emotional response from me, which is not the same as the the parting of traffic. This was an emotional no, thing. I understand. Now, so listen, I, I think I have the power to do it. Cause well, I've been... this is a hell of a year for you because there is El Nino. You know what that is? Yeah, you bet I do. Hey, hey, when I can, when I can go off the pier and catch tuna, and they, and they, they, they get a, a marlin in Seattle. See, I live right up. Well, you know what Coos Bay is. Of course, we got rain up there. Yeah, I live there. And the thing is, is, is we're, we're getting we're getting fresh tuna right off the bay here. And the thing is, is tuna are usually 250 miles out. Okay, so that gives you an example of what's going on. And guess what? I live at, at a good position here, and and I've been able to. There was a hurricane, a class two hurricane came over here, and it did very little damage. And, and I, I and you take credit for that? No, 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 I don't. No, 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 no. Oh, get it straight. I take credit for this house that I live in. Not to be damaged. I see. That well, I I so in other words, you can you can have a personal localized effect. That is correct, and oh, I would, I wouldn't it. want to go any further than this. Uh, I am not God. I have a certain amount of power, and I've got it through my teachings and my learning. Well, that is to most people a little godlike. Well, yeah. Well, I think we're all part of that one that is anyway. There is only one, by the way. Mm-hmm. I think you know that already. Well, I know, but there's a little piece of him in all of us. I think. I so. do believe that it, it's called. It, it's it's a thing. As I I, uh, I run a little group here, and I call it the Church of I Am. And what it means, <laughs> I am I God. Am? And what really? I am God means is not an egotistical position. Am I also tax exempt? <laughs> If you wish to be. All right. I, I, <laughs> no, I've, no, no, I, I've got to run, sir. I, I, I appreciate your call, and uh, I appreciate your ability to be able to stop the rain. That's cool. I would like to see that demonstrated, particularly on, you know, like one of those steady, rainy days where you know it's going to rain all day long. We get very few of them in the desert, but I would love to see a demonstration of that. Good morning. You're on my weird line and on the air. Good morning, Mr. Bell. Hi. It's a pleasure listening to your program, but I might qualify for the category that you've stated. You are? I might possibly call it a quali- In what qualify. way? In what way? Uh, I'm the only individual so far as I know in the world that has a system that I designed that's keeping me alive, an off-the-shelf hardware. I am totally 100% dependent upon pacemaker technology. Yes. Well, there are many people with pacemakers. Oh, but that's not the story. The thing is that out of the million or so in this country of pacemakers, about 250,000 are totally dependent upon pacemakers. Yes. In other words, if one of the 50 or so parts, the component parts in a pacemaker malfunctions, they're they're dead. They're dead, yeah. So over the years, I had tried to come up with some means to find a way to to build a redundancy system for those who are totally pacemaker-dependent, such as myself. And I finally was able to do this in 1983. I had the system implanted, and since that time, the system has kept me alive in one event when two pacemakers malfunctioned. 
and they malfunctioned in such a manner they were firing intermittently to keep the heart going. Bad news. Uh, bad news. So the point being is that I have just had my system uh, rejuvenated, replaced in my safe for the third time, except that this uh, second time, or third time on the system, uh, the physicians refused to go ahead because they couldn't understand why you would need more than one pacemaker. So your your idea, your, what you've done is to put two pacemakers in? This is correct. What, uh, what I, I, I used off-the-shelf hardware art, and uh, we put in one pacemaker that runs uh, a steady rate. It's called VVI. runs at, uh, let's say, 80 beats. That's the primary power source. The secondary backup unit is set to kick in at 45. If the, if the main pacemaker or the primary unit malfunctions or the lead should go bad, yeah. and it drops down below, when it, once it hits 44, the backup unit comes on kicks in, it will keep me alive long enough to get, to get the, the main source replaced. I've got you. And you designed this yourself? Yes. Well, how did you get them to implant it into you? I had one heck of a time, Mark. You cannot imagine talking to physicians as an aerospace uh, type is like talking to a brick wall. I had a, I had sure. a very devil of a time getting this thing in. Uh, right now, I've got the uh, the secondary backup as I'm looking at a possible failure on the leads in the near future, and I just came out of the hospital where they refused to replace the second backup unit. I understand. And they had me under uh, under anesthesia. Uh, it's, a, it's a sticky thing, but the really unfortunate thing is I have had this unit, uh, this system implanted, which is redundancy, backups. In aircraft, as you know, we have three backups. We have on the shuttle flights, we've got three power generators. In one flight, two of them failed. Sure. So it's, it seems incredible that it is so difficult to get the medical profession to realize that it's not a medical necessity, as they say, uh, in having two pulse generators. It's a matter of redundancy or safety. Well, you know, uh, with a pacemaker, of course, you cannot get near uh, strong RF fields. Well, they have uh, they have pretty well shielded that out. Uh, they have they put a couple of zeners in these things. Yeah. Which uh, which Zener, does shield them? He, he I refers, he's referring to zener diodes, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. I haven't had any problems. I've been in uh, power generating plants, and I uh, had no problem. Well, that's one thing, but an intense RF radio frequency field is something else again. Well, I imagine if you were in an MRI, it might shut you down. Oh, an MRI. That would definitely do you. I think that might do it in. But the main thing is, as far as I know at this time, I'm the only person in the world with a redundant a redundancy system. And it's a shame I can't get the word out. Well, uh, try getting it through the FDA. Good luck. <laughs> exactly. Good luck. But I'd say that anyone that has a backup system for essentially total... A function of heart, heart operation that would be considered unusual. Okay. Well, I, I wouldn't consider that weird, though. I would consider that to be... A medical breakthrough. In other words, here is a man who has designed a backup that once the heart rate, uh, which is supposed to be maintained at 80, drops to 40, the backup automatically kicks in, giving the doctors time to get another pacemaker in. He has designed his own backup system. Brilliant. On my weird line, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, how are you? Okay. And welcome home. Thank you. Well, my weird story isn't really weird. Well, then it doesn't qualify. Oh, no, but to me, I mean, I entertain past musical composers and writers 
in a non-commercial limousine. Huh? And they give me ideas. You mean you mean like guys who have died? Yes. Oh, that's weird. Yes, and they give me ideas. You mean like the big famous ones, like Beethoven? And... Right now, I'm with Marty Robbins. Mar Marty Robbins. I don't know. You're kind of young. But he was oh, I remember Marty Robbins. Do you really? Of course. El Paso, Big yes. Iron, I could name a lot of his hits. And then I had Rod Serling, and I put together 26-minute teleplays. I wrote 40 of them in black comedy type. Well, isn't that sort of plagiarism? Why? Well, I mean, like grave robbing? Well, but it's interesting. Well, it, it, is, it is interesting, but I mean, you're taking ideas from dead people. Aren't you, don't you feel guilty about they that? Come, no, they come to me. Hmm. Using you as a conduit. I guess. And it's interesting, because the themes... Well, the it's, not the, it's, look, it's not that unusual. Even the first lady of this country claims to have counseled with Eleanor Roosevelt. Right? So I guess if she can do that, then you can entertain famous composers who give you lyrics and music. I guess. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Good morning, Art. This is Dan in Virginia. Hi, well, Dan. Welcome back. Really Thank you. you. Oh, it's good to be here. Um, I have a couple of questions. Um, before I get into the questions, there was something that happened last night. I was listening to WRC here in Washington. Mm -hmm. And uh, within 30 minutes, right in the middle of your program... They start running this emergency test. Oh, yes. And Station, know, Stations are required to do that every so often. Well, it's very unusual. Most of the time when they do that kind of a test, they do it during a break, not in the middle of a program. Well, it depends. <laughs> uh, some, sometimes it is an automated deal, and it just runs when it oh, is told to run. I see. Okay. I was going to ask you, um, while you were in the pyramid... Did you have any unusual uh, sensations or expanded consciousness while you were inside? Yes. Would you mind uh, discussing? No, I, I will. Sure, I'll talk to you about it. All right. Um, uh, please listen on the air uh, there near our nation's capital. Yes, uh, the answer is yes. And it occurred when I laid in the sarcophagus. There is actually a photograph of me laying in there. And let's see, how do I describe to you what I felt? I, I spoke words when I was lying in the sarcophagus, and there was a resonance uh, that I did not just hear, but I felt in every part of my being. I'm going to describe this the best way I can. I guess I've been waiting for somebody to ask that question. In every bone, in every fiber of my being, I felt a resonance occurring. As I simply spoke, I heard the resonance, but more than hearing it, I felt it. Now, I don't know if this properly describes it, and I really, I just can't put the right words together to exactly describe to you what I felt. A deep, all-consuming resonance that I could feel in every fiber of my being. And that's the only way I can think of to describe it. And I have never in my life felt anything like that before. Now, it didn't lead to any out-of-body anything. However, 
given, for example, an entire night to go up there in the dark with nobody else present and to be able to lie in that sarcophagus, I can imagine that much more would occur. So I've done the best I can. That's what I felt. It didn't take me to any strange place. I didn't have an out-of-body experience or anything like that. But I did absolutely feel a resonance uh, that was everywhere. And that's insufficient. I'm sorry, I, I can't do better than that, but that's the that's best answer I can give. First time uh, caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Yo. Weird line, actually. Right. Are you weird? Uh, no, you're talking about a carburetor? Uh, a carburetor? I heard on the radio a while ago, or at least I'm uh, listening on the tape, uh, I got a 100-mile-an-hour carburetor. Mm, well, first of all, you've got your radio on. That's a no-no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, number two, no, we were not talking, well, only in passing. Uh, there are a couple of guys who claim to have something real hot up in Canada, and I said, you've still got your radio on. I got it off. You got it off now. Um, it's the old 100-mile-per-gallon carburetor story, you know, that's locked up somewhere in oil company shelf. You know. there's, there's a bunch of designs. There's like eight or ten designs for that. Uh, it's a vapor carburetor or a 100-mile carburetor. Hmm. But I got one that's running on a, on an engine. Mm. If you'd like to see it, where? I live in Houston, so I'd have to come all the way to Texas. Well, I can bring it to you. Mm. Hundred miles a gallon, huh? Hundred miles a gallon. In what kind of car? Uh, it's on a three fifty Chevrolet motor. Really? I've been using three fifty. Now that should be normally a gas hog. Uh, yeah. Well, some uh, there's different different uh, Chevrolets, different cubic ends. Some of them is you know bigger. Uh, and you have this. I have one. You have one. I have one sitting in my garage. I've been working on this stuff for about 25 years. Do you have any idea what the oil companies would do to you if they caught you? Uh, yeah, I know. A friend of mine was Fisher. He lived in El Paso. Mm -hmm. and he invented uh, Michael Brown. is selling them right now. Uh, the Venturi travels up and down. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the, uh, he came up missing. Yeah. See, aren't you afraid of that? Uh, well... I got a shop, and uh, I got some pretty mean old boys that hang around, mechanics, you know. So if they get me, they get me. But the uh, information will be out there. Well, I'm sure that's what they all thought. I mean, you're not the only one who's done this, right? According to history, right? According to history, this, this system has been around for a long time. This patent, you can go to the patent office in 1932. Mm -hmm. It was the first uh, vapor carburetor built. So you would what? You would drive it out here and show it to me? Uh, right now, I got it on a stationary engine. I'm building a generator right now so I can run it stationary. Mm hmm. Um, You'd be welcome to fly in there, and I'll pick you up at the airport. Now I've got to go to Texas. <laughs> hmm. Well, let me think about it. Send me some information on it. You never know. I might do it. Yeah, it'd make a good show. Uh, it would make a cool show. It's about, uh, there's at least, uh, I've got plans for at least seven different ones. All right. All right. I appreciate the call, sir. Thank you. West of the Rockies, you're on the air without much time. Hello. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Where are you? I'm, my name is Jeff, and I'm in Sacramento. Well, Jeff, uh, KST I'm... country, of course. Uh, you've only got time, Jeff, to, I know. Get, to get the honors. So you've got them. Do it. Okay, great. 
Well, go ahead. Okay, from the world, from the high desert to the universe. Good night, everybody. That's it, Jeff. That's how it's done. From the high desert, indeed. From Jeff and from Art. Night, all. Night, all.